But oh, we're, we're so vicious. We're so vicious, Bo. And you know what? I don't even feel bad about it now. Nor should you. I mean, I don't know if... I, I, there's part of me that wants to believe that <laughs> James Marshall, the actor behind James Hurley, is just that genius and actor. Mm-hmm. And then you see A Few Good Men. <laughs> and it's a movie where James Hurley joins the military. <laughs> like, he plays the simple one. Yeah, and, you don't think he got typecast after tw- You don't think he, he was like, right, I'll just do this silly role, I'll get it out of my system, it'll get me a foothold in Hollywood, hopefully, and, you know, and then my next role I'm going to try for, I don't know, Othello. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hamlet. Um, and we're like, that. how about A Few Good Men, alongside Tom Cruise and Jack fucking Nicholson. He was like, yes! Can't wait, sign me up, agent! Right, let's get the script on oh, I'm one of the guys. I'm one of the accused. Oh, this is amazing. Right, let me see. Why does it say beside this description of my character? Um, idiot. <laughs> why, does, why does it say simple? What, what's happening here? Don't. No, I can play difficult. Don't take gas, mate. And that was right. it, really. I, I don't think he did much. Huh? Did he do much? Huh? Was he in Gladiator? Uh, I don't know. Hold on, I'll, I'll tell you. We'll, we'll. I don't know that we've done this. Let's look through the work of the estimable James Hurley. He was in Gladiator. Yeah, he's he's Tommy Riley, isn't he? Uh, let's see. Hang on. Um, he was in Alien Lockdown. Uh, Doomsday Man. Uh, Soccer Tommy Dog. Riley, though, because if he is, that's hilarious. We need to find this out. Soccer Dog, the movie. No, he wasn't, was he? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Soccer Dog, the movie. Yes, he was Tommy Riley. Right. Yep, sure oh, enough. Oh, good God. Right. Have you ever seen Gladiator from 1991? I don't believe I have. Right, well, let me put it this way. He plays a simple guy who's exploited no. in, the, in the boxing, and it's the same year Turn Peaks finished up. <laughs> Uh, Nature's Fury, Storm of the Century. Uh, what else we got? Badlands of Cain. That sounds pretty good. Um, and uh, let's see. Yeah, there's, you know, I mean, he's been working pretty steadily. Uh, I did not know. I did not know that he was Tommy Riley until we started talking about that. He's literally, that, 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 the... 1998 to 1993, he played nothing but simple characters. Oh, that's amazing. I, You know, I would... Uh, like, I haven't seen all of these, obviously. Oh, you need to see it. If you've never seen Gladiator, watch Gladiator. It's actually a really fucking good movie. Like, really, really good movie. And you get you get some... You get some Cuba Gooden in there, um, which is always worth checking out. Always worth checking yeah, out. Yeah. I... Uh... The one that really has me intrigued is Doomsday Man, quite frankly. Dooms- what's Doomsday Man? All right, let me I give you... Let me give like, me... This is like the longest episode we're ever going to record. I know. This. And we're not even... We're, we've just we've spent like 10 minutes slagging off James and now looking at his... <laughs> it is, <laughs> I, yeah, out. this all... We'll, we'll cut all this out. No, we won't. We won't <laughs> no, cut we won't. any of this, this out. Is, this is um, all right, so here's the IMDb <laughs> synopsis of Doomsday Man. After his wife is killed researching a deadly virus... 
A doctor, out of anger and guilt, infects himself with the virus and threatens the world. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you mean a stupid terrorist? Is that what he plays? I don't <laughs> know, because, all right, so Isai Morales is listed as the main character, but James Marshall has second billing. So I don't know if he is the titular doomsday man or if he's just the buddy who's constantly like you need a tissue you look sick i don't i don't know i there's no way for me to know that until i watch it and i, I thought I, I misread something I, I thought it was in the shaft remake but it's actually a movie called the shaft from 2001 which the synopsis is when when the express elevators in the Millennium Building, one of New York's most famous landmarks, starts to malfunction and behave in erratic ways, elevator mechanic Mark Newman is sent to find out the cause of the problems. His investigation meets unexpected resistance, and not everyone seems to be happy with his involvement. After a gruesome and deadly incident in which a blind man falls into the shaft and a security guard is decapitated, the police start an investigation. They are, however not very successful. Uh -huh. Mark is determined to find out the cause. He's joined by a female reporter, Jennifer, this is the longest synopsis ever, but trust me, the payoff's amazing, who is looking for a juicy story. Together, they try to unravel the secrets behind the mysterious behaviour of the elevator that seems to have life of its own. When things get worse and the death toll rises, the government... Wait, wait, wait. Fearing... We have to point out here that the government here yeah. <laughs> is, is in caps, including the... The yeah, government. The, the government. I, I get a feeling like we're moving into the Alex Jones territory here. Feeling terrorists are involved, steal off the building. Uh, what firstly looks like a routine job turns into a horrifying nightmare in which Mark has to face down an en enemy whose bloodthirst is only met by its unpredictability. An enemy that is determined to fight off any intruder looking for the dark secrets, the luck inside the belly of the building. An enemy that has to be feared. An enemy that has to be taken down. <laughs> Why have we never watched this movie? All right. a killer elevator, Bo. A killer elevator. I, all right. I think that, uh, first of all, Opera Omnia uh, needs to explore uh, the work of James Marshall. Um, the, 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 the director's name is Dick Mass. I, uh, yeah. Uh, like, He's already done a killer lift. He's, he wrote a book called The Lift, which I'm I'm assuming this is but He also did Saint, which I actually really like. That's that yeah. modern... Yeah, that's a good yeah, movie. Yeah, that is a good movie. Um, oh my God, we need to watch The Shaft. Like, if you tell me that James Marshall is in The Shaft, I assume James Marshall is doing gay porn. After reading, <laughs> after reading this synopsis, though, I want to see it far more uh, than any gay porn, and that's saying something. Um, <laughs> not even trying to hide with that title, are they? <laughs> no, it's just the, the Shaft. Um, that is an Alex Jones movie, though. Yeah, take the Shaft. Um, okay, right. All right, all right. right, right, right. So, uh, look, we're going to talk about Twin Peaks, but but Duncan, um, just to delay this a little more, I gotta, I gotta <laughs> tell you, I gotta tell you something. Yeah. I tell me something. I watched, uh, I've been on a bit of a, a, a David Lynch kick because you did the the wonderful episode of Podcast on the Stairs uh, where you were looking at Blue Velvet. And uh, that got me kind of inspired to watch 
uh, some more David Lynch. So I went back and watched uh, Easter Sunday, as a matter of fact. I watched the extended version of David Lynch's Dune. And I love that movie. I don't get the hate for that. I understand what could have been, right? If anyone's watched uh, Jodorowsky's Dune, you would you would know that there was a potential for the most magnificent, over-the-top, mind-blowing science fiction movie of all time. I, and I, I am not beholden to the Frank Herbert, like, original source material. I think as, like, a weird, bizarre 1980s science fiction movie about warring... <laughs> about warring like royal families trying to hunt spice. I actually think Lynch's Dune is fucking entertaining as balls, man. Honestly, I, I, I genuinely, and there's some great casting in that movie. McLaughlin in that movie is brilliant. Oh, it, he's great. Uh, Sting is really good in it. <laughs> yeah, Tantric Sting. Well, <laughs> pre before Tantric Sting sprung into gear, he's actually pretty good in it. Patrick yeah. Stewart's in that as well, isn't he? He is. Uh, Patrick Stewart is is in it. I'll tell you, I, I don't think that uh, Jurgen Prochnow Prochnow mm. is is terribly good as uh, the uh, Duke Leto Atreides. I don't I don't yeah. necessarily think he's great. But um, he's really good in it. Sean Young as the uh, the Fremen, um, you know, love interest and whatnot. But it is just chock full. Like as I was watching um, Twin Peaks, following my my viewing of Dune, the whole time that uh, you know, huh, spoiler, somebody's getting shot. Uh, that Kyle <laughs> McLaughlin is lying there shot. The only thing I could think is fear is the mind killer. You know. <laughs> yeah. It's oh man, um, it's, as is, as, as I think I think it's sometimes unfairly, and I I, I kind of know why it was I, I kind of know why it bombed because like Disney didn't know what to do. Disney gave money to Disney asked David Lynch to make a Din movie and then complained that it was a bit weird. I mean that's fucking stupid. You know what I mean? Right. For shame, <laughs> for shame, Disney. It's like. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like giving Rogero Diodato money and saying, you know, go make us a movie about, you know, food, and then complaining that it comes back with Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> uh, yeah, I... Ever, like, since watching it, I've wanted to watch it again more than I have in years. Because I just, I, I had such a good time. You know, I will kill him! Um... <laughs> It's weird you should say that because I also did a bit of Lynch watching in the last week. Um, I got the Criterion of uh, Mulholland Drive. I watched that and it's the first time I've seen that movie in fucking years. And that movie is really fucking good. Um, I, yeah. I mean, and that follows the. That was supposed to be a TV show. That was supposed to be his like, new move into to his new kind of Twin Peaks era thing. And it you know, just didn't pay off and it ended up just becoming a film. And I've said it before and I will say it again. The scene where the guy is talking about his nightmare and then they walk out and that thing behind the wall is one of the scariest. That's heart-stopping material because everything on paper should not work. I mean, it's shot during the day. They basically explain what is going to happen in the scene. So they've set up the scare. There should be no scare there. They've set it up. They've told you what is going to happen. It's set in daylight. They go through it. It's slow, methodical. And when that thing comes around the corner, your heart fucking stops. It stops dead. One of the scariest moments. And that's, and we, in fact, speaking of scary moments, 
um, within Twin Peaks. When we talk about the end of the first episode in the second season, there is a scene from Nightmares right at the very end. The way that episode closes is with one of the most horrific heart-stopping things as well. Yeah. Lynch, like, he's, this is why people talk about him when they talk about all genres of cinema, because the guy is like, he just melds everything into one giant cooking pot. It's it's phenomenal. Um, one one other shout out to a movie. I just want to know if you've ever seen this. Because uh, uh, I watched it. Uh, uh, you're smiling while you're saying ago. this, which means I you am. think it's bad. It mm, is it. I don't know. I'm not willing to to take that leap and call it a bad movie. I think it's a curiosity. Um, but I am talking about the movie The Dark. All right. It is un, an uncredited Toby Hooper joint. Oh, no. <laughs> it's going to be mental then, isn't it? It stars Kathy Lee Crosby. And stars is kind of in quotes. Um, it's basically anyone who ever appeared on an episode of Fantasy Island. Um, <laughs> William Devane. Kathy Lee Crosby, Richard Jekyll, my man Richard Jekyll, uh, Keenan Wynn, are you familiar with him? Yeah. Okay. Uh, who else? Casey Kasem plays a, a police pathologist. <laughs> Casey Kasem uh-huh. from the radio. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and it is produced by Dick Clark. Really? Yes. And it is about uh, an alien that comes to Earth. And just starts murdering people at night. Like, every night, somebody gets killed. And while he's stalking them, uh, in the background, like, background singers are going, The Dark. Okay. In addition to all of that, uh, Richard Richard Jekyll, as, as I mentioned, is in it. There is also a uh, a psychic who has some weird psychic connection to the alien that's out killing people uh, for no good reason. And when you get to the end of this movie, spoilers, they kill the alien, but you should still watch it. Uh, at the end of the movie, the, the voiceover narration is uh, this guy saying, you know, no one who was involved with, you know, this first encounter with aliens ever forgot it. You know, like, it was a mystery. They don't know why he came. They don't know what he was doing there. They don't know what his motives were. But what are you going to do? And then, <laughs> that's kind of how the movie ends. <laughs> it is... You have to see it. If you've never seen 1979's The Dark... I've never seen it. I, I must see it now. It seems fucking amazing. It is... Uh, I'm an Amazon Prime uh, subscriber. Mm-hmm. And it is free to watch on Amazon Prime right now. Um, I, will, I will track this movie down and I will watch it before our next recording. And, it, and if you need any further, like 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 motivation to see this movie, it was directed by the same guy, in, or the guy who's credited at least as the same guy who directed Kingdom of the Spiders. Oh, I love that movie! Right. In a movie called The Daytime Ended. I've never seen that movie. Nope, nope, but it, it, it has a dinosaur on the cover, and I want to see it now. Um, <laughs> as, as well as uh, Gore 2, uh, an adaptation of the John Norman book about misogyny. Um, 
so yeah, that is uh, that is my suggestion. Question mark? <laughs> like, no bullshit. Like, if you've never seen The Dark, you should see The Dark because it's it's bananas. And also, Casey Kasem shows up as a scientist of sorts, and that doesn't oh. seem right. Yeah, I need to, I need to. It's really good. It, like, it's one of those movies. Like when I saw it, I I was like, I remember seeing this when I was a kid a bunch, and I don't remember hardly anything about it. And then I watched it again. And I was like, this movie is ridiculous. Um, it's it, yeah. Even the print that they have on Amazon is like, look, this is what we found in the closet. This is not <laughs> like it's high def in the sense that you can see people, <laughs> and and it doesn't look like you've had a stroke, which happens to the psychic in the movie after she sees the alien. Oh, it's the best. She gets all stroked out and like uh. uh uh, not the cops show up to question her about the alien, and she's like, "I don't have much time left." And it's <laughs> oh, Duncan, you have to see it. Uh, any anything you want to pitch at me? I know I've been dominating this because of Dune and and the Dark. Which, by the way, if you're going to double feature an evening, that's not a bad way to go. Uh, but. <laughs> Uh, no, no, no! I, I'm, <laughs> I am, uh, I'm, I'm ready to rock on this one, but this is like, whoo! I love how we do this to ourselves. We like literally spoke off here about how how little time we have to record this episode because you've not hit, um, and and we've like l- legitimately just done probably the longest in, uh, intros to one of these already. Yeah, but uh, in, in yes. I, I was gonna try to make some excuse, and then I realized, like, no, there's just no, there is no excuse. Although I will say, everything that's happened thus far, fucking gold, 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 gentlemen. Uh, I would say, ladies and gentlemen, but nah, I don't know that many women are listening to this. Uh, yeah, I don't think anyone. I mean, and and if they are, it's only in short bursts because of the smooth, sexy tones we laid out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they, they don't care about Twin Peaks. They care about Duncan's Peak. Um, <laughs> which is how I refer to it. So. Uh, Mount Duncan. <laughs> yeah, that's a command ball. Mount it's, Duncan. It's uh, snow capped. All right, all right. I know enough talking about your dick, Duncan. The, Top the, of my dick's like it's like the it's, it's like the mountain in a live. Like, people crashing and just eat themselves on it. Um, <laughs> what? I don't have a clue. I, I'm, I, I'm obviously sleep deprived. Let's roll on with this one. Yeah, I'm just picturing a Brazilian <laughs> soccer team on your cock now. I'm not sure. Uh, not by the, the first way. time this happened, won't be the last. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically the Bermuda Triangle for soccer teams <laughs> in Duncan's pants. Uh, so Twin Peaks, Duncan, <laughs> yeah. is what this show is about. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah, less so every week, it seems. <laughs> So when we, when last we left our our heroes and and also James, um, so uh, Donna and James were sneaking into Doctor Jacoby's uh, apartment slash beach resort, thanks to the help of Madeline, who is of course Laura Palmer's cousin, 
and she she left uh, Dr. Jacoby uh, or called him up and 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 invited him out uh, somewhere uh, so that uh, James and Donna could could sneak in. And when we left the episode, uh, somebody was stalking Madeline from the bushes. Yes. All right. So we start this episode with Donna and James busting into Dr. Jacoby's place, and uh, boy, they just can't fucking get anything right. Um, they're, they, uh, uh, they accidentally turn on loud Hawaiian music, which startles James like it would a puppy. Yeah, he pisses on the floor. Um, she has to put his face in it. No, no, James, not indoors. But the music was loud. Um, but, but they do find the half a uh half of the the necklace from the first episode the 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 necklace dr jacoby has and all right so i just want to point out to listeners a big uh uh what the fuck Mm -hmm. because in the last episode we talked about um their discoveries and you you made the case that in episode seven they had discovered the necklace which is not yes. the case. Mm-hmm. So when I was like, really? I don't remember that. The reason was is because I hadn't rewatched these episodes. And I thought, well, Duncan is usually right about this stuff. <laughs> and now I've learned a hard lesson, as have our listeners, that A, you are not to be trusted. We can, we can be honest and kind of give away a little secret here that I had, I had watched the last two episodes of season one and prep for the last show. So, yes. yeah. So I, I had watched them as like one giant episode. So I couldn't remember exactly where the cutoff was between the episode that we were talking about and the one we weren't talking about this week. Hence, I may have given that away. Yes. There is a little bit of Jamesian confusion. <laughs> as, as many doctors have called it. Um, so, they, all right. So they... They finally figure out how to turn off the Hawaiian music. And, Thank God. And uh, I, when they first enter, one of my favorite things is uh, they walk in and James is like, where do we look? And it's like, well, <laughs> just look around, idiot. Like, like Donna's going to. Anyway, um, so <laughs> just reinforce. And like I said, there's so much James in, in both of these episodes of him just like, huh? Um, <laughs> that it, it it's kind of adorable to me at this point. Now, now I just want to give him a treat, you know, uh, <laughs> when, it, when he does do something smart. So, uh, they, they find the necklace and then they, they book and Bobby Briggs steps from the shadows just to remind everyone like, Oh, he planted some blow in mm-hmm. the tank of James's motorcycle. Yep. Made him an easy rider. Yes, gave him the old easy rider. Um, and meanwhile, while Maddie is, uh, Madeline, is hanging out uh, by the gazebo. It's a fun word to say. Say it with me, Duncan. Gazebo. gazebo. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. I quite like it as well because it finishes with the word bow. I, I like that too. The original title of this show was Gazebo, Go to Twin Peaks. Um <laughs> And then I realized, like, what a terrible co-host a gazebo makes, despite my love of wordplay. 
a gazebo only slightly better than James as a podcast co-host. Uh, yeah, just, just. I mean, it's neck and neck, but then you realize that the gazebo, by staying silent, is probably preferable. Uh, <laughs> the gazebo, by being an inanimate object, is the preferable co-host for that show. Right, as opposed to someone who should be an inanimate object. Yeah, it's, it's, it's essentially two seconds away from being one, really. Yeah. yeah I mean, at a, you know, a James at rest is almost indistinguishable from <laughs> a slab of granite. Or, or like a statue. Yes, <laughs> yes. Like a, a garden ornament. Um, a, lawn, so a lawn James. <laughs> like a fishing rod and a nomad. Uh-huh. <laughs> I kind of want that now. Um, listeners, all of you who do like Etsy shit, send, send me a, a lawn, James. Um, and not, not to Duncan now, cause he lied no, to I, you the last episode. I lied. I lied. And speaking about lying, um, I almost gave away, I may have, and you may have edited it, but I almost gave away the fate of Dr. Jacoby as well in our, in our chat. I, uh, I don't recall that, but I mean, let's get to it. He, he is attacked while he is kind of sneaking around near the gazebo. Mm -hmm. Say that with me one more time, Duncan. Gazebo. Satisfying. I know, it feels good. So, (laughs) uh, while he's hanging out by the the gazebo watching Maddie, somebody in a uh, uh, balaclava Mm -hmm. um, shows up and, and just beats the living hell out of him. Oh, yeah. Goes to 10. Yeah, it's the kind of beating that I don't know that Dr. Jacoby deserves. I mean, for all his weirdness, and, and we didn't talk about this, but when they bust into his place, um, he's got um, a, a collection of drink umbrellas, cocktail umbrellas, with yeah. a little tag saying where he was when he was having that particular drink, which I think is kind of charming. <laughs> it's just sort of it's that sort of weird attention to detail that you know those quirks that lynching characters have that are just you could believe someone would do that but it's that sort of thing that is, I don't know I, I, of course Dr. Jacoby has drink umbrellas that have labels telling you where he was when he drank that drink of course he does but at the same time you maybe don't want to think he does it's yeah. that behind closed doors sort of thing. That's a wee bit weird. Uh, well, I mean, he's 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 a strange character anyway, and you find out that yeah, and that just yeah, it makes sense. But at the same time, I wouldn't dwell on it, Bo. No, no. I, I mean, when I saw it, I I was like, well, that's not as weird as what I do, which is save all my dead foot skin. But you know, I thought you were good. Like when I saw it, I thought my collection's bigger. Um, <laughs> right. So. Uh, so with Dr. Jacoby all busted up in the bushes, uh, we turn our attention to One-Eyed Jacks, where Big Ed and uh, Agent Cooper are, are pimping it up uh, within the casino. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a great scene between Agent Cooper and Jacques Renault, who is the dealer at the blackjack table, where uh, Agent Cooper is playing and playing at a high level. Oh, he's he's a he's a motherfucking boss at this table. He's just like it's it's that sort of it's it's two steps away from counting cards. I I think he is exactly counting cards. Like he like, so. <laughs> because he has uh you know he clearly has been on a winning streak, 
And then he, um, the cards that you see him with, he's got like six cards turned over. Mm-hmm. And it's like a two, three, ace, ace, two. And he's like, hit me. <laughs> and even Jacques Renault is like, sir, are you sure? Because he has a terrible <laughs> French Canadian accent. A really good Jacques Renault. And, uh, and AJ Cooper's just like, you heard what I said. I said, hit me. And, you know, turns it over and it's, uh, you know, a three and he's got 21 on like eight cards. And Jacques Renault is like, oh, that is good. And, and uh, uh, he gets tipped with the, um, the chip that is missing a piece that we know is evidence from uh, the murder of Laura Palmer. And uh, at that point, uh, Agent Cooper, being a baller, says, I'm a friend of Leo's. You got somewhere we can talk? Mm-hmm. So we step away from them because now, you know, they're going to go off somewhere and talk. But before we join them, we have to take a trip into the, uh, you know, employees only area of one eye jacks. <laughs> yep. And Duncan, why don't you describe this? I think only you can do this moment justice. Audrey Horn. Uh huh. Audrey Hornbow. Humana, 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 humana. <laughs> Aruga. Uh, <laughs> Aruga. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like slapping my. Like I take a plate over my head and stuff. Right. Um, she's in a. She's. Uh, they've given her an outfit to wear. The outfit is kind of revealing, Bo. It's very re- re- revealing, Bo. It's. The greatest outfit that has ever been put on any woman ever. It's... I'm lucky. Like I'm, 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 I'm lucky that I am a happily married man now. And I, I'm saying that with a bit of despair in my voice as well. And that, like Audrey Horn is, you know, the actress that plays her is clearly married, or maybe not married, but she's happy somewhere else because th- this is the stuff that sets up stalkers. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? This is the sort of thing, like, uh, how she never went on to do, like, huge things is beyond me, but, yeah, so essentially, she's, um, she has her false name, uh, which, like, she's given Blackie, um, and, which is a terrible name, um, and Blackie has, like, obviously given her a uniform, and she is now set up as this, she's the new girl, and we all know what happens to the new girl, and we're going to build into that anyway, but she is going to basically be given her own room, private place, um, and she's now essentially an escort. And she looks so unbelievably attractive in this. I mean, she's always been attractive, but at this stage, it's just like, literally, I have no semen left in me. It's all been expelled. Was that but, graphic? Was that yeah. a bit too graphic? But in, <laughs> in fairness, this episode's been filthy from jump. So let's just <laughs> let's just embrace it. Um, yeah, she she looks amazing, and and uh, Blackie. Uh, kind of makes a pass at her a little bit. Understandable. Sure. I mean, any man, woman, or child in the presence of Audrey Horn in this outfit is. And it kind of plays into that. There's that. There is a certain Hollywood stereotype that you know mistresses of of uh, whorehouses 
or, or ladies of the night tend to lean that way and you would assume they lean that way because they probably had a bad time with men yeah they you know find the simplicity and 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 you know what would you call it the the essential you know sexual directness of men to be a little off-putting whereas women are, are more associated with seduction yada 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 so i, I mean what what we get though is we get the like blackie is like mistress of our own domain she has like surveillance cameras looking at pretty much everything in one eye jacks and audrey horn at this point notices on one of the screens that agent cooper is there um and blackie obviously notices her face asks her if there's anything wrong if there's any problems he says no problems at all um and then yeah that kind of can ends that scene i will just say right now potential um artwork for this episode could just be audrey horn wearing that dress that's all i'm saying yeah it could just be that that would that would although in saying that i get the feeling that a lot of people would look as opposed to listen to the show, and we want them to listen. Hey, you know, as long as we get the downloads, man, I don't... <laughs> Play right into that. I like your style, Bo. Yeah. I like your style. I'm a, I'm a mercenary, if nothing else. Um, so, w- we now turn our attention back to the doings of uh, Jacques Renault and Agent Cooper, who never r- reveals his name. Um, he, do- he doesn't ever say that. He just says, hey, I'm a friend of Leo's. And he gets into a discussion of uh, Jacques Renault's business association with Leo, and he uh, presents himself as the guy who's the money behind Leo. Yeah, he's financing the whole operation. So, but he's saying like, hey, you know, I, I really just want to work directly with you, Jacques, at the, because I've got a little something uh, planned. But before we get into that, how about you tell me a little bit about what happened that night at the cabin. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we do finally get Jacques Renault's version of w- the events of, uh, at the cabin, which is they took uh, Renette, uh, what's her name? Renette Pulaski and mm-hmm. uh, Laura Palmer back to, uh, to the cabin mm-hmm. um, that the minor bird had a quote thing for Laura. Yeah. So they're, the girls are drinking, they're doing drugs. Um, Leo lets the bird out and it flies over to Laura and it, you know, it bites the, uh, the chip and um, Laura is tied up because Mm -hmm. uh, to quote creepy Jacques Renault, that was something she liked, no. (laughs) And I don't know why he's Cajun. Uh, I don't know, you, you've now made him two steps away for Wilfred Brimley. Right, from Hard Target. Yeah, hard Target. God yeah. damn all! God damn all! Um, so, uh, but anyway, uh, so they set up a scheme. Basically, Jacques Renault uh, passes out, and when he comes to, everybody's gone. Yeah. Uh, because he's a big tubby drunk and can't hold his shit is my point. Um, but Agent Cooper, they, all right, so they have an extended sequence where they're using code words. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, we got one on the line and this one's a keeper, Hawk. And... Uh, 
Sure. Uh, and <laughs> no, 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 no. There is never a bad time for that. And so there's all this talk through the episode of like, yay, this fish is big enough to keep. That one we need to throw away. Like everything becomes a fish metaphor. And it, at a certain point it was like, Mark Frost, goddammit, goddammo. Goddammo. Knock it off. So uh, we get one last look at it uh, while we're at One Eye Jacks, where we get one last look at Audrey Horn, who is uh, settling back into the boudoir. So, uh, because the owner of One-Eyed Jacks, whomever that may be, we don't know at this point, uh, is going to exercise his right of prima nocta, mm-hmm. uh, where he Ooh, gets... Oh, nice use of that word. Right? I've been mm-hmm. studying and reading, um, and, uh, talking to people <laughs> that use words. So, uh, but anyway, she's waiting there. To be, uh, you know, bedded by the owner of the place since he gets first crack at, at all the ladies. And, um, you know, it's a brief scene, but it, it just kind of sets her there while Agent Cooper and everybody else is headed back to Twin Peaks because they had to get Jacques Renault to go across the border mm-hmm. so that they can arrest him, uh, for realsies. And, um, so that comes, uh, like, here's a line I made a note of where uh, uh, Sheriff Truman says, Hawk, hold the line. We'll set the hook. I'm yet another fish metaphor where I was like, okay, hawks eat fish. That's awesome. I don't, you know, I'm a man of simple pleasures. Um, also, in between that, though, we do take a brief interlude at the Johnson household where... Um, Shelly Johnson, who previously shot her husband, mm-hmm. um, is washing her hair in the sink. You know, just kicking back. A little Netflix and chill kind of night for Shelly. Mm-hmm. She's chilling out. Yep. She's got the gun by the sink and also a towel, but as she reaches for the towel, it is uh, moved away. Mm-hmm. So we know that someone is there with her. So um, then we move away from that. So uh, Jacques Renault. Um, shows up in his, um, oh, geez, what were the, El Camino is what they're mm-hmm. called. And the the cops um, are there waiting for him. And in a moment of surprising competency, uh, Jacques Renault, uh pulls a gun and aims it at Sheriff Truman. A gunshot rings out. And they're uh, standing much like um, the, uh, the, the sidekick character from Die Hard. <laughs> At the end of that film, I really feel like that's where we're pulling from. Is, <laughs> He's like, takes the twinket, he's mounting and shoots the gun. You're right. Is Deputy Andy, who has saved Sheriff Truman's life. Uh, so, you know, good for Deputy Andy. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, so, you know, Jacques Renault is shot but alive uh, and has been caught by the cops. Um, and then, you know, we have one of our two main suspects in custody, although now it seems to be clear Jacques Renault is not responsible for the death of Renette Pulaski or Laura Palmer, but he was there uh, right before um, the events and- took place. So, um, now let's join the Scooby gang. (laughs) 
who are uh, listening to uh, the cassette tape that they found along with the necklace from uh, Dr. Jacoby's office. And oh my goodness, Duncan. Did my heart so good. Oh, tell us why. Uh, well, Laura is talking about James. Yep. And she finally comes out and says what we've been saying all through this series. James is dumb, but he's sweet. <laughs> Everyone in the room feels sorry for James, except James, who only heard the word sweet. Right. And he's like, no, it's okay. <laughs> you you don't look like Laura. And, it, and they're like, yeah, I, I know, he's, I'm he's Donna. Speaking of the cassette player. <laughs> right. You sound like Laura. <laughs> James, it's a recording of Laura. It sounds like Laura. <laughs> oh, God. And so as they're listening to the tape, yeah, they, they kind of feel bad for James, but, you know, whatever. That posse's quick. Right. <laughs> because um, in the meantime, Laura is describing, uh, like, sex with a stranger. And someone that, you know, kind of uh, could potentially kill her. And how much she gets off on the idea that she's, you know, having having sex with this dangerous guy who also happens to have a Corvette. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I only know of one character on this show who has Corvette, Duncan. Oh, who's that? Who's that? Boy? That would be prime suspect number one, uh, one Leo Johnson. Oh, well, that must mean that Leo did it. I, you know, there is absolutely nothing to disprove that. The, the case closed. Right. Now we just have to catch Leo, but he seems to be presumably at the Johnson household uh, mm -hmm. about to murder his wife. Yeah, <laughs> which is, <laughs> your presumptions are correct. <laughs> well, kind of, sort of, because he's yeah. not going to kill her there. No, he's decided to to. He is uh, the the way I like Leo is Leo is the kind of psychopath who is a practical psychopath, and he's like, I have two things to do tonight. I have to kill my wife, and I have to burn down the sawmill. I could do these things separately, however, I could do them together. Two birds, one stone, which is exactly how Leo thinks. And God bless him for it, because he has he has Shelley tied up in the sawmill in a very over the top kind of nineteen twenties, you know, tired to the railway track sort of scene. You know, he's twiddling his moustache, um, while the the piano music's like da 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 in the background. Um, and yeah, basically he's going to kill her because she has quote unquote broken his heart, poor little heart. Yeah, well, you know, Leo is, like, all that psychopathy is just a mask for his tender side. He is, he's got a tender side, he's the sort of guy that listens to country music at the weekends. Yeah. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, so he oh, strings Shelly up and, and yeah, it is going to yeah. do a two birds, one stone. Now, now, this is the bit that's really heartbreaking about this episode, Bo. Heartbreaking or tantalizing? Uh, you be the judge. <laughs> Ed! Yeah, because Nadine, Big Ed's wife, uh, is all dressed up in her prom finery mm -hmm. and has a uh, a gallon size, the, the kind of bottle of water that I use when we do recordings like this. <laughs> so when you finish, you can pee in it. 
Yeah, well, sometimes <laughs> sometimes during the show, you don't know what I'm doing over here. It's all audio. You have no clue. I'm doing awful things and wearing nothing. Um, <laughs> not the only one who's got a Brazilian soccer team on your penis. <laughs> so Nadine puts on her prom dress and... Uh, Pours herself a glass of water and a bowl full of pills. Mm-hmm. And is like, Ed, I'm going to kill myself! And, <laughs> and she, So she writes a note and then starts... Do you think she, do you think she audibly counts out each pill? One! <laughs> I, think, I think it's more of a... Uh, Hundred pills in the bowl on the wall! Hundred pills in the bowl! Take one down! Swallow it down! 99 pills in the bowl! And everyone in the neighborhood that hears it kills himself as well. But quicker, in a more humane way, the gun <laughs> to the back of the head. So, she is off in herself. Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed. Because <laughs> what we all want for Big Ed is for... for uh, Nadine to get out of the picture so that he can be with Norma. Yeah, I would I would like to stress what we want to see is Nadine still live and be out of the picture. <laughs> We're not advocating anyone commit suicide on the show except James. Right. Well, boy, James would fuck that up good. Of course he would. Somehow. <laughs> I shot my motorcycle in the head. It's <laughs> not not how it works, James. Here, let me let me help you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> James is the type of person that tries to tries to kill himself by putting his head in the oven but forgets to turn on the gas <laughs> the oven was cold I thought it was going to freeze my head <laughs> so I can wake up when the world is nothing but Laura's <laughs> the world's nothing but Laura's right how how would that even happen, James? Because you don't look like Laura, but some people do look like Laura, like Madeline. <laughs> and m- more people will look like Laura. <laughs> Doesn't have to make sense. Just has to be James. Um, it's going to be our spinoff podcast. Nothing but James. <laughs> so we journey through the works of... Uh, James Marshall. <laughs> the James, the whole James, and nothing but the James. That's why, and, and look, I, of course, of course, I do not know James Marshall. I'm sure he's a, a, a very intelligent, gifted actor. I'm sure he's not now that we've done, <laughs> done But the fact show. that the name of the actor and the name of the character are the same thing <laughs> the same. <laughs> are not making the case. <laughs> you think one's changed at the last minute. Because he like whenever they were calling him something else like Mark, he wasn't turning around, he wasn't acknowledging his lines. Right, like it's easier just to write him in as James. Just write him in as James. It's like when the the Simpsons went to witness protection, where they're like, "All right, <laughs> now when I say my line and then tap your foot with mine, you're gonna say your line." <laughs> I think he's talking to you. Right. Uh so good. Uh, but like I had a structure to that, I swear to God. Um, I was uh, the reason I, I mentioned uh, Norma here 
is that um, her husband, Hank, um, <laughs> is over at uh, Josie Packard's place. And he's trying to, now that I've said Hank, the only voice that's in my head is, is uh, Hank Hill. So I apologize for that in <laughs> advance because that might come up. Um, but he's like, I've been thinking. Uh, <laughs> the money you were going to pay me isn't enough. Um, that's terrible. I haven't done that voice in a long time because that show has been off the air for 20 years and is no longer a relevant reference. Um, in fairness, this show's been off the air for a while as well. But yeah, but it's coming At the time, back. it would have been perfectly. Yeah, 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 all right. Yeah. Um, what the hell were we... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Hank <laughs> is like, we should burn down this place with propane. Um... <laughs> He's he's talking he's he's he's, he's talking <laughs> he's talking Arson to John is Chen. best with clean burning propane. <laughs> the show isn't for anyone else anymore, it's just for us. Um <laughs> That's so good. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> He's talking to Joan Chen uh, to ask her if she knows who uh, killed her, her, her husband, who, you know, we've never met because he was dead before the show started. Um, and he, he, they go through this kind of creepy, like she understands that they have an agreement. She doesn't really like him, but he is a bit more kind of like, let's seal the deal in blood. And then he does the old uh, cut of the fingers, the old pressing the blood together. So now they have a blood bond. They are now bonded together in the the bonds of holy infernal arson projects, which are going to set up that thing. And she's played a masterful stroke here. She is out. She is out. See you next Tuesday. The see you next Tuesday of the show. Yeah. Is it weird that I do the blood bond thing with uh, uh, the people who hand me my food at a drive-thru and just grab oh, their hand? I, I, I do it with anyone that comes to the door to try and give me cheaper house insurance. <laughs> we don't have door-to-door insurance salesmen uh, here any any longer because... Uh, well, quite frankly, there was an AIDS epidemic and all the yeah, blood we, we, bonds. We don't, we don't have any more around here either now, Bo. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe we do, just not at my house. Um, that reminds me, I also watched Ghost Watch over the weekend. That's quite good. Um, oh, Ghost Watch is really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so let's, speaking of the real See You Next Tuesday. Oh, yes. Catherine Martell. I wanted so much to redact the see you next Tuesday title mm-hmm. because of her conversation with Pete in this scene. Cause, yeah. Cause she is all right. As we recall from the last episode, she got a call from the insurance guy, speaking of door to door insurance salesmen that end up in your furnace room. Um, mm-hmm. She found out that Josie Packard and Benjamin Horn were co-signers on a life insurance policy that uh, leaves everything to Josie. Yeah. Uh, for Catherine Martell, took out a life uh, insurance policy on her. And so she understands that now she is on the receiving end 
of a, a good old fashioned grift spanking. And, <laughs> and so she's in, in the office at the lumber mill. Americans are weird. Um, eh, you, you know, haggis, really? Um, <laughs> sorry, it's not a grift spanking. A grift spanking? Well, that's that's just a metaphorical term for when you've been grifted so so well that you've received a grift spanking. That's in the movie The Grifters, for God's sake. Um, it's not. No, all of that is garbage truck, right? Um... <laughs> so, but but the point being that Catherine Martell is like, hey, um, I'm kind of in a jam here, and and Pete, God bless him, is like, what do you want me to do about this, Catherine? I mean, you've you've spent the past twenty years making my life miserable, and Catherine has this moment where she says, "You know, that's right. We have just been hurting each other in all these different ways, but can we look past that?" And finally, we get the story of how they ended up together in the first place, mm-hmm. which is that he was working at the mill. She was the the daughter of of the the people who owned the mill. They had this like forbidden uh, tryst. And something blossomed from that. And, and and that's kind of a sweet story. It, it makes sense. I understand. Like, Catherine Martell, who grew up in the, the lap of uh, luxury and all that stuff, that, you know, she sees this blue-collar guy that is nothing but nice. And maybe that's the thing she needs to, to find happiness in, a, in a, the aristocracy of the lumber life. Mm-hmm. Um... So, see, I, I know you were saying you were kind of wanting to revoke that title. Yeah, we see in here that really she she realizes that Pete... It's true that see, you only really understand who your friends and loved ones are when your back is against the wall, because everyone else will abandon you. Um, but, you know, part of me just can't help but constantly think that everything she's doing is to manipulate everyone around her, and this is no exception. Whilst she kind of plays into this, there is a motive here, and that motive is to get him to find what she needs from him. I don't think their relationship is saved. No. After after they have this, what seems to be a moment of reconciliation, and, and Pete hugs her uh, like she just told him that he could have a pony. Um, <laughs> it's so sad. And and she rolls her eyes, and you're like, "Oh, you are such a see you next Tuesday, Catherine Martell." Yeah, she is. All right, well, but anyway, Pete's gonna help her out. Meanwhile, back at the Twin Twin Peaks, Twin Packs, the six pack. (laughs) Oh God, I need a drink. Uh, Twin Peaks, uh, Sheriff's Department. Um, they are recounting the story of Deputy Andy. you know, saving Sheriff Truman's life. And Lucy is listening in because, uh, you know, she's watering the plants or whatever. She clearly is into Andy, but there's something going on. He doesn't know what it is. Finally, after, you know, what, four or five episodes of her we being We get to distant, the bottom of this one, yeah. Right. And surprise, surprise, by which I mean no one could possibly be surprised by this, uh, Lucy is pregnant. Yeah, which leaves Andy a bit shocked. Yeah, he is definitely stunned, but I don't know. First of all, you know, that gives me hope because if Deputy Andy can find love, Duncan, 
than all of us perhaps can. Um, well, it's a small town. That's yeah. all I'm saying. <laughs> right. It's slim pickings. <laughs> but much, yeah. Are you just suggesting I move to a small town? Is that is that the recipe here? <laughs> I need to find the a place. The shoe fits both. The shoe fits. I, um, I need to find a, sure a, that... a, 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 like a rural area that is mostly women yeah. who have decided not to look outside their zip code. Yeah. Okay. I'm, on, I'm, on I'm, board. Su- I'm sure if there are places like that in the world, they will be in America. Yeah. They also may be pro-Trump, so just be warned. I, You know, none of my beliefs run that deep. I can always flip-flop. <laughs> Flexible. Yeah, yeah. But the, the only real core belief I have is that you should really watch the dark. Um <laughs> Casey case I'm like well I gotta tell you I think it's an alien uh, Casey Kim. <laughs> and and now we're going to do a little story about a dog called Snuggles who has passed away right <laughs> well there was a homeless man he was murdered last night by an alien with laser beam eyes um, that also happens. Can we make that. a concerted effort not to play an upbeat song before I talk about an alien coming down <laughs> here and killing a fucking homeless man? Can we do that, please? Right. Every fucking time. Memo to self: drop drop that audio clip right there. Um, <laughs> so uh, you know, finally we know what's what's up with with Lucy and uh, Deputy Andy, which is great. Um, but back in. Uh, the hospital. We are visiting uh, Jacques Renault, mm-hmm. and and this is honestly, you know, like the the last time we we see him uh, in his proper's, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means. So well, well, we we do we do see him once again in this episode, but we're not exactly interacting with him. Right, but th- this is the point where he does finally make the admission. I kind of jumped the gun on this, where um, he he says like, "Oh yeah, I was I, I passed out. I never saw what happened to Leo or the girls." But also in the hospital is Doctor Jacoby, who is in uh, some kind of coma after getting the ever living hell beat out of him. Mm-hmm. And so we're just doing a tour of the hospital where almost everyone in Twin Peaks is. Um, yeah. Either hurt or tending to the hurt. Yeah, and also at this point here, we have had, when we were at the police station, uh, Bobby, the evil genius, the Machiavellian evil genius that he is, phoned in the police, spoke to Lucy and said that James may be hiding some, uh, what, 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 what have we been Skag. Using? Skag. Uh, <laughs> he, he's, he's got Skag. He, he's probably got a little gank, some yayo. Some some toot snoot, uh, some snow, some some clean burning propane, um, all bagged up in that tank. The kids know what I'm talking about. He says that it's hidden inside the, the motorbike, and of course, when the police go and check it, that's what they find. And uh, sadly. James is in the cells again, and he's still just as clueless as he was the last time he was in the cells. Yeah, I mean, poor James. Like, has no idea how, how, even if he had put the cocaine in there himself, 
he would not have known how that cocaine got in the in the in the motorcycle. Um, but uh, uh, anyway, so there there's a quick conversation between "See You Next Tuesday," Catherine Martell, and uh, and Hank, mm-hmm. um, which. Again, everybody in this town seems to know everybody else, and everybody's double double dealing. And um, but Hank tells her, "Hey, the book you're looking for, because they're looking for this ledger that's gone missing. Um, that the book is at the mill in a particular shed." And she dismisses Pete with the wave of a hand, dropping her securely back into "See You Next Tuesday" territory. Oh yeah, she's she's reigning atop of the throne. Yeah, of, and of, you don't of Cuntsville. You you don't mess with my man Pete. No, Pete's nice. He puts fish in your coffee. Accidentally, <laughs> and I'm not convinced that it wasn't James who did that. <laughs> that he just showed up at the mill, not knowing where he was or what he was doing there, as normal. Saw a fish line on the counter and was like, "Oh, there's a fish container." And then just put it in the coffee pot. And then left because his job was done. You know, I have to save the fish and put it in the container. But none of these people are Laura. So I'm going to get on my bike. And my bike's not Laura, but I ride it. (laughs) So. (laughs) It just gets worse with every episode. Um, But. After, like, setting See You Next Tuesday Catherine Martell up for uh, murder, Hank uh, goes to his wife and it is all like, I know I haven't earned the right yet, but maybe we should kiss. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, talking about the next 20 years and all that stuff, and, and sure enough, uh, they they have a little lip wrestling, um, as the kids call it, or, or skag. Um <laughs> Yeah, yo. Um, Mountain sod refreshment. Um, (laughs) So good. Oh, so good. Uh, But Big Ed returns triumphant uh, to his house to find Nadine posed. Uh, you know, on a picnic blanket on in the floor, and yep. he there's a note there's a note beside her. He opens it and he reads it in her voice and it says, "Ed, I'm dead." <laughs> right. It just says, "If you're reading this, I'm cold." Um, but <laughs> he he actually does call the ambulance, which is he's, he's visibly upset. He's visibly because as much as you know, he, he meet pain for another woman. He, he loves Nadine. He does love Nadine. Yeah, and, um, yeah. It, yeah, and doesn't want want to see her die. Certainly. Mm-hmm. And and the fact that you know her her drape silent drape running business has gone south. Um, sadly, sadly yeah. gone south. And that there's still this tension between them and all that stuff. That yeah, I mean he he feels he owes some kind of debt to her. Um, but anyway, so they get the um, the message uh, back at the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Station. Um, they get a note, the note that Lucy has taken about uh, James having uh, some skag 
in his uh, in his motorcycle, which is convenient because James shows up at that moment. To say like, hey, I've I've got some information for you, and of course, no one believes that because it's James. And what information could he possibly have that the normal infant doesn't know already? You know, uh, like Chef Truman, the sun is hot and it comes up in the day. Like uh, James, mm, I'm not sure it helps our investigation. It's hot, Sheriff. Um, <laughs> And not a crazy person, Leela Paul, Leland Palmer shows up right oh, no, behind he's him. Totally, he's totally sensible. And he, he's um, he's maybe heard on the grapevine, because it's a small town, that they may have found out who Laura's murderer is, right. thinking that Jacques is potentially the killer or one of the killers. And he does a turn to camera in this scene that under no circumstances implies he's going to go to the hospital where he has been told Jacques <laughs> Renault is, even though he says hospital. Yeah. So <laughs> at any rate, James uh, hands over a, the cassette tape that they found in Dr. Jacoby's house um, and, to agent Cooper. And then agent Cooper is like, look, I don't need any of this, James. First of all, you telling me that somebody with a red Corvette is involved, I'm way ahead of you, unsurprisingly. Mm-hmm. Also, you were messing around in Dr. Jacoby's house, who is now in the hospital with a heart attack because of the beating he took, and you were in his place. You're, by your own admission, you were in his place. Also, Sheriff Truman just went out to uh, your motorcycle and found a bag of... You know, skag, stash, yayo, um, <laughs> clean burning propane in the tank, <laughs> and uh, James, like James, can't pull off looking confused because he just looks like James. Then, yeah. So he's like, I don't know how it got there. I'm, <laughs> I'm put it in. And they're like, All right, you understand why we have to hold you? Oh, okay. Mm, how do we put this so you understand? Um, this puppet had drugs, and this puppet <laughs> is a police officer, and drugs are a no-no. And James is like, oh, okay, I understand. I'll go to I'll go to this cell. Um, <laughs> drugs are bad, I'm calling. <laughs> right. Uh, I didn't mean a sniffle there. It sounds like I'm doing some yayo. <laughs> Not me, Duncan. I'm high on life and twin peaks. High on life, yo. High <laughs> on life, yo. <laughs> we found some life, yo, in your tank. What, uh, what was it beside? It was right beside the clean burning propane. <laughs> <laughs> I think this might be my favorite episode. <laughs> Oh, we got a whole... We're not even done with the first episode yet. <laughs> Listeners have tuned out. They're just like, that's a terrible Hank Hill. Also, it's not called Skag. Or Clean Burning Propane. Uh, it's called Nose Candy. So, uh, in the meantime, um, 
Benjamin Horn is finalizing the real estate deal, which is the whole reason um, that, you know, they're trying to burn down the mill and mm-hmm. uh, he's double crossing. Um, see you next Tuesday, Catherine Martell. So he's going to celebrate by going to have sex with the, uh, the lady of the evening that is starting work at one eye Jack's, which means of course he is the owner of one eye Jack's. And is about to exercise the uh, edict of prima nocte with his yep. own daughter. Which, yep. I mean, if you're gonna. Mm, mm. <laughs> I know it's a dilemma, Bo, but he's not Donald Trump. That's all I'm saying. Oh, oh he does want to have sex with Ivanka. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's science. That's proven. That's a fact. So... We cut to the Johnson household where Bobby has come in to look uh, for um, Shelly. And Leo is waiting for him and is about to murder Bobby Briggs, which may be not the worst thing that could happen on this show. Um, But instead, he is shot through the window. Yes, he is. And uh, Bobby um, realizes that the man outside the window doesn't know who it is, but sees the man who shot Leo Johnson. And so, you know, that's probably not something that's going to make any difference later. Um, Also, uh, Leo, this is actually one of my favorite scenes from this episode where Leo bleeds out as he's watching the villain on the soap opera that plays throughout Twin Peaks. Uh, get shot be- because it is always on. Uh, what is the name of the show? I keep forgetting it. It's not. I want to call it Edge of Tomorrow. That's not right. Invitation to Love. He's watching. Yep. Yeah, he's watching Invitation to Love, and um, the villain on Invitation to Love has been shot, and he watches that character die even as he dies, uh, which is a really nice moment, I think. Of mm-hmm. once again, th- this episode we didn't mention this up front, written and directed by Mark Frost, um, and has a lot of I don't know. This thing trucks. I mean, we're almost at the end of this episode, and despite all our stupid diversions, like a lot of stuff is going down in this episode. Not the least of which, Duncan, is see you next Tuesday. Catherine Martell showing up at the lumberyard in the shed, mm-hmm. and uh, has one of my favorite lines from the episode. Where um, Shelly, who is strung up like a hog, uh, is trying to tell her, like, hey, there's a bomb that's about to go off. And Catherine Martell goes, I can't understand you. There's something in your mouth. (laughs) Well played, Captain Obvious. Right. No wonder you're getting double-crossed. So anyway, the bomb goes off. It's not really a bomb. It's just like it starts a fire in, in the shed. And um, Catherine Martell seems to debate whether or not she wants to save Shelley's life for a moment. Yep. And then finally it's like, eh, all right. And oh. she literally, you can see it in her face, she literally makes the, the facial expression for, eh. Yeah. It, it, it is very much that, well, yeah. I mean, while I'm here. Uh, but in so doing... Uh, enough time passes for the fire to rage and the building starts to collapse um, and uh, they are trapped within as, as the building burns. 
Cut to the hospital, Duncan. Mm-hmm. Where we have a stranger in an overcoat who is not seen, but is Leland Palmer-like, I would mm-hmm. argue. Uh, especially considering the last time we saw him, he was looking suspicious as all hell and saying, hospital. Um, <laughs> I'm very sneaky. Um, so he, uh, he cuckoo's nest, uh, Jacques Renault, by which I mean, he places a pillow over his head and smothers him, which is actually a cool scene because he, he uses medical tape, uh, to tape Jacques Renault's one good hand. That's not in traction. Uh, to the edge of the bed and there are these cuts in between Jacques Renault's hand just wildly shaking and the pillow over his head as he struggles and stuff it's cool it's a, a good murder scene yes indeed he's actually done a very similar scene to this in Rising Sun the Sean Connery Wesley Snipes movie where it's revealed oh, yeah. that he kills a prostitute by basically doing the same thing um, but before we get out of the scene, thank, thank goodness they don't try to hide this. We do get the reveal that it is Leland. Yeah, I, I think they have to at this point because we fucking know already. You know, if they if they tried to hide this as some next season reveal, I would have been kind of pissed off. Everyone knows because, like you said, he pretty much has already said hospital. Right, like if he were wearing a button on his lapel that said, "I'm going to the hospital to murder Jacques Renault," it could not have been any more more obvious. Yeah. Um. So cut to the big fire at the mill. Yeah, it's all kicking off here now. Yep, and uh, Catherine Martell. See you next Tuesday, Catherine Martell, and um, Shelley Johnson are trapped inside. Pete shows up, and because Pete is like Big Ed one of the pure goods of Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. sees that uh, the building is on fire, his wife is potentially inside, so he basically just gives it a shrug and says, I gotta go in after her. she's my wife. And into the, the not-so-towering inferno he goes. But uh, we then have to go back to uh, Creepy Land, <laughs> the Polanskyville, <laughs> Woody Allenberg. Yeah, um, all those are accurate descriptions. <laughs> where he is uh, about to make uh, fun times with uh, his daughter. And he enters the room and then quotes a little Shakespeare. Yeah, and of course, she notices whose voice that is and then panics just a little. Yep. But but we don't know what happens next. We only know that he's walking in. Mm-hmm. Because then we cut to the Great Northern. Yeah, about time. Because we've been missing interactions with our main man, the Coop. Yep, and he's, uh, you know, dictating to Diane. Um, and saying, hey, you know what's cool? Uh, all those Norwegians, or, or the Icelandic folks, are gone now. So I, I'm getting rest tonight. This is going to be great. Everything's coming up, Cooper. Um, we have a suspect in custody. We're looking for the other one. Um, everything is fantastic. But just to be sure, because I'm a little wired, I ordered some hot milk from room service. 
and that's going to put me right to sleep because I'm a I'm a clean living American boy, and that's what gets me to bed. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that's the end of the episode. Oh wait, <laughs> you're such a tease. <laughs> He finds inside his room a note from uh, presumably Audrey. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I think he actually says like, oh, you know, my little investigator or whatever. And gets a uh, a phone call yep. uh, that we don't really hear anything on the other end of. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than him saying, hey, hang on till morning, please. And then someone knocks at the door. He goes to open it because certainly it's going to be his glass of hot milk. Instead, it is somebody that shoots Agent Cooper three times in the chest and or stomach. Yep. While Deputy Andy, who is on the other end of the line, screams, you know, Agent Cooper, we've got Leo Johnson. He's been shot. He's dead. Mm -hmm. And that's almost the Hank Hill. I really... Uh, it's very, very, very close. I just... I have no range. Um, <laughs> I think we're going to have no control over it then. Right. <laughs> everything just becomes Hank Hill until the whole podcast is me. Like, even James is like, I'm a dumb man. Um, <laughs> but you should still try clean burning propane. Uh, and there ends uh, season one. Like, we mm-hmm. end with... Um, Audrey Horn about to be discovered by her father and possibly sexed up. Um, Agent Cooper is shot. Leo Johnson's dead. Fire is burning at the mill. Catherine Martell, Shelly Johnson, and uh, Pete Martell all inside this burning building. Nadine is OD'd on uh, on pills. Um, Yeah. I mean, things are popping the fuck off. Yeah. So that a, a nice way to finish off a season and those big beautiful letters on the screen to be continued indeed but you listeners do not have to wait because we are diving right into uh season one or no season two episode one <laughs> we're going back to we're, the beginning we're starting we're over beginning. none of that was any good forget everything you've listened to so far we're going to re-record we're doing it again Right, so what happens is Pete is about to go and do a bit of fishing. He yes. gets his fishing gear together and he walks out to the lake and as he turns around the corner, he sees a bundle of what looks like polythene that has been wrapped up and he suddenly realizes that there's someone inside it. Yes, and it is a uh, a, a wisp of blonde hair. The uh, yeah. the town of, Ten- of Twin Peaks, uh, set in the state of Washington, uh, jumps into action. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. I don't, eh. all right. Knock it off. Um, okay. Season two, episode one, uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the previous episode entitled the last evening bleeds directly into the next episode entitled may the giant be with you. This episode is written by Mark Frost and directed by the man himself, David Lynch. I feel it has been a while since we had a Lynch impression. Can we have one? I call it May the Giant Be With You. (laughs) He's obviously just seen Spaceballs. May the Schwartz be with you. It was genius. Um, 
So, David Lynch directing Spaceballs, could you imagine? Ah, uh, well, then you have Dune. You have Dune, that, don't you? <laughs> right? yeah, you do. It's we've already seen that movie, and it has uh, Sting and uh, a guy with pustules on his face, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. Oh man, I like. I am not on the Harkonnen side. Listeners, shut up. I got to get into this. I'm not on the side of the Harkonnens, <laughs> but they are the most interesting characters of the movie, aside from, you know, Paul Muad'Dib. They're the most interesting characters in the book as well, in fairness. So. All right. I've never read the book. I only know the movie. Oh, you can't only read one. You need to read, like, the entire... And they're still going. I think they're yeah. still being written by his, like, sons, sons, grandsons, sisters, uncles, brothers, roommates. Who, who could possibly have time for that? Like, and TV is like a book that reads to you. put that on my tombstone in about two weeks um well 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 looks like we got ourselves a read (laughs) oh you are never gonna go wrong with the bill hicks line um duncan Mm -hmm. he he axes um so we had a bit of a cliffhanger of our own just we, to, did, we did. To peel. You're letting them peek behind the curtain here. A, a little bit, but I, you know, in case there's a difference in audio, which there actually should be. <laughs> uh, I was a little blown out. My volume was a little blown out on the last recording. But uh, uh, yeah, so uh, we had just finished with the shooting of one Agent Dale Cooper. Mm-hmm. And then lo and behold, Duncan, there was uh, a bit of an internet error. Um, yeah, on my side, my internet died. Well, you know, I wasn't going to point fingers, but, uh, you know, if you're going to cop to it, I'm good with that. <laughs> so Scottish internet system is run by gerbils running on wheels. <laughs> well, you know, at least the gerbils have a job. Yeah, well, occasionally they have to take a like a piss break and a water break and a feed break, and that must have happened during a recording, which in fairness was like about half one in the morning over here, so... Yeah, um, we like ain't, ain't no utility company fixing fuck all at half one in the morning. So, and to our listeners, first of all, thank you for making it this far. This episode <laughs> is, um, it's more of a marathon of <laughs> Twin Peaks than anything else. But we're gonna jump right into this. We're like we we've done all the the bullshitting up front. It's not bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's it's quality entertainment. But we did the quality entertainment up front. So now let's get to the Twin Peaks stuff. So. When last we left our heroes, uh, we had done a bit of a summary of where everyone is. Agent Cooper has been shot. He has been. And so we join season two, already in progress. Um, yeah, right? But Agent Cooper lies uh, on, on the ground uh, in, uh, in his motel room at the Great Northern. Uh, Deputy Andy is calling to him on the phone. That's who he was talking to at the end of season one. And uh-huh. in comes uh, the oldest man alive. <laughs> this is room service. Buried, very old room service. Yeah. Buried a glass of hot milk, which he had ordered a whole season ago. <laughs> and it is clear just from uh, from mere observation, Duncan, that... Uh, his, uh, he was wearing a bulletproof vest. There were two bullet holes in his shirt that are bloodless. And on the other hand, there is one that is clearly bleeding and it looks like agent Cooper is bleeding out. Um, mm-hmm. so the, the room service guy, the oldest man alive, who's I'm sure dead now, 
Um, <laughs> yeah, he won't be. FYI, he won't be in the new season. No, not unless he's a ghost or uh, a skeleton. Oh, wouldn't it be great? Um, if David Lynch just propped up the skeleton of this old old geezer <laughs> in the corner and was like, okay. hey, look, here's the guy who brought room service to Agent Cooper. <laughs> Everyone came back. He's <laughs> just not told the family that he's dug up the, the bones. <laughs> Even from the grave. I just uh, love this idea of, of David Lynch making actors and actresses at that point sign waivers that said that if they died before he potentially ever brought back the show, he would have access to their corpse. Oh, that would be the best. Yes. Purely for artistic purposes. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, he's that kind of visionary. He's the kind of guy mm-hmm. that, that would certainly uh, consider that in, uh, in his contracting. Um, but, you know, let, let's face it. This old man is somewhat incompetent when it comes to calling uh, a doctor. <laughs> incompetent or just willfully or blissfully ignorant to the requests of his guest. It's not that he's not calling the ambulance. It's just that he has to get the signature for room service first. And we need to make sure, which there are a lot of scenes that I love. Once again, classic Agent Cooper. He needs to make sure before he signs it that the gratuity is is added to that bill before he signs it. Because he wants to give the guy a tip. Exactly. Even though he's the worst waiter in the history of man. He, yeah. Uh, you know, Steve Martin's absent-minded waiter comes to mind. But, <laughs> yeah, he's... And he tells Agent Cooper, like, hey, you want to? You probably want to hurry up and drink this milk because it's going to get cool. <laughs> uh, and Agent Cooper, in typical awesome Agent Cooper fashion, is just like, okay, um, I'll, uh, I'll just be lying here then while you <laughs> shuffle away. It doesn't and, just shuffle away, though. Yeah, he, he tries to make conversation. This is like the longest exit in history from a room. This entire episode is like 85% pregnant pauses. <laughs> well, this one, once again, uh, for the for the listeners out there that are interested, this one is directed by David Lynch. So the, the weirdness is off the fucking chain in this episode. Yeah. Uh, because no sooner does the room service guy leave. Well, he leaves and then he comes back just to, <laughs> you know, give him a thumbs up one more time. Uh, yeah, which well, is... No, he, he's heard of him. He gives him a lot of thumbs up. Yeah. And this again and again. Yeah. It's, it, it is, we have, we have done so well, Duncan, in not using the word weird uh, when describing <laughs> Twin Peaks of late. But yeah. this whole opening scene of season two is just jam-packed with weird. So much so it spills out the top. It's a bit cuckoo. Yeah. And... So the room service guy disappears, and in comes a a giant, a yes. giant man. Like if mm-hmm. you took Tom Noonan <laughs> by his feet and head and stretched him out, yes, it's kind of this guy. This is the guy that plays Lurch in the Adams Family, the movies. Oh right, sure enough. Mm-hmm. Well done, sir. Yeah, there wasn't that many weird got looking giants back then <laughs> well there was the but he is so tall he is so fucking tall and he appears and he says to agent cooper that he will tell him three things 
Yep. And the first thing is you will see a man in a smiling bag. Yes. The owls are not what they seem. They're not what they seem, Bo. No. I mean, we alluded to that. Uh, and yeah. then uh, without chemicals, he points. Mm-hmm. Those are the three things. And he says, once you, you see these three things, you will know that I am telling you the truth. Yes. And then he he axes Agent Cooper for his ring. Mm-hmm. And Agent Cooper uh, obliges because that's what you do when a spectral giant appears in your room, cryptically also, telling you three things. I mean, yeah, and also you're shot, and there's not much you can do to stop him taking the ring. In fairness, yeah, but I feel like Agent Cooper was on board. Um, oh yeah, this is this is a guy that has you know thrown rocks at balls, has talked about Tibetan dream customs, has had many conversations with Hawk. About uh, his spectral night visions and the visions of his people. So yeah, so if a, a giant comes to you in a vision, bringing you three three clues, um, and then says, "By the way, I need your ring." You give him your ring if you're Agent Cooper. All right. Speaking of the cacao, yeah. Um, did you happen to see the the Facebook post uh, today um, no. from one of our listeners? Who, uh, all right, I'm going to, uh, I, I got to find this because it was just, it was so beautiful. It, it let me know that we have infiltrated the minds <laughs> of our listeners. Uh, this comes from, from uh, one of our listeners. I won't say his name in case he doesn't want to uh, want to hear it um, or want us to expose him for a listener on the show. And I understand why you would want to keep that. Yeah, keep that, keep that shit secret. Yeah. I mean, you want to delete this immediately. Uh, you're on a list, but, uh, so he said he was watching an episode of paranormal witness Mm -hmm. that was related to the Mothman. And, uh, and he says, eventually they mention its signature loud screech and they play a Hawk screech sound effect. And, uh, and to quote him, and I lose it for reasons I'm sure people here can guess. And every time (laughs) they do it, I'm just laughing hysterically. (laughs) And it made me so damn happy. (laughs) Uh, that like we have somehow made uh, a signature of the cacao. Yeah, yes. Uh, oh, it's the, it, oh, it's so good. But all right, so back to the show. We, I mean, we got a long episode ahead of us. Let's not quit fucking around, Duncan. Quit, <laughs> knock it off. Um, but uh, anyway, so the giant uh, fucks off. But he tell he he has one last message, which is that. Leo is in a hungry horse, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, anyway, off he fucks the giant. And with, <laughs> or one other thing that I really love about this scene, though, is that when uh, Agent Cooper is like, hey, giant, how did you get in here? And the giant's like, the question isn't how I got in here. The question is, where are you? And Agent Cooper kind of smiles like, touche, giant. <laughs> Am I in the dream world, as mentioned by one Deputy Hawk? <laughs> or, or the Mothman, apparently. <laughs> the same thing, surely. You think is Deputy... Agent Hawk the Mothman? I no, I think I think Agent Hawk and uh, the Mothman would be mortal enemies. I like this idea. I, I would like to see them fight. 
Right. I mean, they're two sides of the same coin. You know, one uh-huh. is a harbinger of doom and the other is a harbinger of justice. Oh, I like it. The yin and yang of spiritual cacoing. Oh, God. Agent Cooper would so love this conversation. <laughs> I feel this is what they talked about at that table that time. Oh, yeah, with Russ Cole and mm. uh, <laughs> Colin uh, Farrell, uh, whose name yeah. I can't remember his character's name on the show. Rustin Cole. What's that? Rustin Cole. That's it. Wait. Well, that's what I said, right? You did say it. You said Rust, which is what he gets called on the show. So you were small on. Okay. All right. So um, so Agent Cooper is still lying there bleeding. Uh, and then we go back to One-Eyed Jacks, where uh, Audrey has confined herself on this canopy bed with the curtains closed, avoiding uh, any, any, any look at uh, her father, because she knows it's her father who's coming in to uh do it with her and uh, make the sex with her (laughs) and even though i mean he doesn't know it's his daughter but eh, is he going to be totally against it we don't know we Uh, we don't put anything past the man that got slightly hard when he tried a brie baguette earlier on in season one uh, yeah but it did sound pretty good. I, I do like the fact that he and Jerry just are constantly talking about food of some sort. There's a scene actually in this episode where they're talking about food before Leland comes in on him. But, um, mm-hmm. so we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Benjamin Horn is wandering around this bed and he finally opens the curtains and throws back the covers. And Audrey has, covered her face with like a porcelain kitten mask yeah like a kind of like some sort of version of like a kind of japanese right kind of no mask of some sort it looks like a fox which is i can't remember what the, kitsune yeah it's kitsune that's exactly what it is and i should know that because i have a kitsune tattooed on the back of my leg so oh, well you should know yeah. that. i just know it because i'm smart um and you have a podcast dedicated to asian, asian stuff yeah so yeah. and and actually I was going to mention the no theater as well. So well done, Duncan. Oh, Boy, yeah, are, I know my shit as well, Bo. Right, yeah. I've been on your show twice, oh, three man. times. I, I feel like we're just two big smarty pants. This episode, this is great. that's right. The rest of them can suck our egos. Oh, my swollen, swollen ego. <laughs> um, so unfortunately for Ben Horn, uh, who has been horny. Yeah, I th- I'll do it. Um, yep. He gets called away, and Audrey is left uh, virginal? Question mark. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like Audrey's the kind of girl that seems like, eh, she's probably tried something or yeah. The only, nah, I think the only thing she's been penetrated by is mischief and intellect. Oh, well played, sir. You're welcome. Uh, but so she's off the hook for now. And it's it's worth also mentioning that um, during this scene, we have uh, a moment between Jerry and Blackie where we realize that Blackie is uh, on on the skag, on the yayo, <laughs> on the dope, on the horse. On, on, for continuity purposes, we need to bring back the... <laughs> on the, the clean burning propane. She sounds like one show now. Yeah. 
she shoots it right into her veins. That clean, burning propane. That is uh, actually a little Bukowski. <laughs> so uh, we, we go back to uh, Agent Cooper, who is lying on the floor, uh, still bleeding out. And he is dictating to the tape recorder. Which he's not sure if it's switched on. Which, but we see that it is. Like, the, it's of rolling. Of course it is. It's Agent Coop. Yeah. Because, you know, he, he plans ahead even for things he doesn't know will happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he reveals, like, yes, I was wearing um, my bulletproof vest per FBI regulations. But in an effort to uh, track down a wood tick that had somehow uh, made its way onto Agent Cooper's body, um, he uh, he allowed the vest to be folded up, which mm-hmm. is how he got shot. And he describes being shot, which is kind of fun, uh, where he, he says, you know, it's not as bad as I, I thought it might be. But it's like, uh, what is it? Uh, If you took a a bowling ball and dropped it onto your chest from the height of about nine feet, that's what it felt like. Which, you know, doesn't sound bad. And Oh, okay. And this is the the moment where he he does make the comment about, like, as long as you can keep the fear out of it, you're Mm -hmm. fine. Which, again, fear is the mind killer. Yes. Ugh. It, like, <laughs> was all right. Was Dune before this? It was right. Yeah, Dune was before that. Dune. He released Dune. Dune flopped, and they did Blue Velvet. Okay, so Blue Velvet was eighty six. So Dune must have been maybe eighty five, eighty four. Yeah, that feels right. Is well, because right? Jedi, right? Yeah, it must. Yeah, it must have been about that time. Which oh, that's crazy. But so I feel like that line is a a jaunty tip of the chapeau. To mm-hmm. Dune for him to talk about stilling fear. Maybe not. I mean, Mark Frost, in fairness, wrote this, but I don't know. You got to think Mark Frost saw Dune, for God's sakes. You would like to think so. You would like to think that came up in conversation at some point with David Lynch. So, Dune, what happened there, David? Yeah. And also, it's amazing. Um, yes. So, for those that haven't watched it in a while, go back and watch it. Not as bad as like the industry would tell you as by a long stretch. Yeah. Plus I think the older I get, the better I think it is. So. Well, and I think it helps too, um, that the more you see it, the more sense it makes. Because mm-hmm. it's just so, so uh, chock full of, um, you know, all these relationships between characters and world building and all that kind of thing that uh, much like, what like Game of Thrones might be a good example of like Ooh, if you go back yeah. and watch Game of Thrones from the beginning, having seen it, you know, all the way through from the first couple of episodes, you're like, oh, okay, I know who that is, I know who that is, and it, it's it's the same sort of thing I think with Dune, where oh yeah, there's no way George R. R. Martin has never read anything by Frank Herbert. Uh, I would uh, the, the the kind of family relationships and stuff like that, or just the houses that are involved in that have to on some level, be spiritually connected to the ideas in Dune. They must be, he must have read that. I get, the, I get the feeling if I asked him, he'd probably lie anyway, but... Yeah, it, that is... If he would just finish his book and get it out, that yeah. may be a good idea. Come on, George. 
the fact that I have not read Dune is the one and only difference between myself and George R. R. Martin. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else is the same. It uh, like a carbon copy. Um, it really is. <laughs> but all right, so it's time for uh, Agent Cooper to discuss his potential regrets if he were to die. Mm-hmm. Which are uh, to to make love to a beautiful woman uh, for whom he has genuine affection, mm-hmm. which is yeah, that's always nice. Um, to finally crack the Lindbergh case, which which is quite funny. It, I mean, come on, and uh, then Tibet. He wishes they could go to Tibet and that the Dalai Lama could return. Yep. And and says like, oh yeah, I I would very much like for them to have their own country again. And I, you know, if if there is any doubt that Agent Cooper is in many ways a mouthpiece for David Lynch himself, <laughs> you can put it to rest right there. I mean, yeah, you know, Lynch is famously a uh, a supporter of Tibet and mm-hmm. uh, of transcendental meditation. You know, uh, I've achieved enlightenment, um, <laughs> which is great. So, <laughs> all these monks are in there going, Shh. I can't help it. My chakras are aligned. <laughs> <laughs> they actually break their vow of silence to tell them to shut up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I directed Dune. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, it's so good. So good. So uh, good. So in comes uh, Sheriff Truman and uh, Deputy Hawk. Cacao! Uh, <laughs> 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 whip it around the corner, guns drawn, and they find Agent Cooper. They get him to the hospital. And uh, the bullet is uh, pulled out of him. But we yep. also find that during the gunshot, um, it killed the tick. Yeah. So, which is, again, a, such a Twin Peaks touch. I, I yep. absolutely love it. Because they hold the, the bullet up in front of the camera, and there's, sure enough, a tick on the end of the bullet. It's, oh, it's so mm-hmm. good. So uh, they they then get Agent Cooper up to date. And, and he says, I don't. I, I never saw um, the uh, the the shooter. He doesn't know who shot him. Yeah. And uh, all right, so Catherine and Josie are missing. See you next Tuesday, Catherine Martell and Josie Packard. Uh, nowhere to be seen. Mm-hmm. Shelley and Pete have smoke inhalation. Yes. Leo's been shot, and Jacques Renault is dead. It was a busy night. Yeah. And oh, and also Nadine is, of course, in a coma. Oh no, I'm turning it. You, you know that even in a coma, you know, like they go in to like change her IV bag and stuff, and she's just like, Ed, I'm in a coma. <laughs> it just pops out about every forty to fifty minutes. Oh my god! Well, I wouldn't give for a spinoff of just Nadine and she had Tourette's. <laughs> be the greatest thing ever. I, I mean, she doesn't now. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Is she in? The... I don't know if she's making an appearance. 
in this episode? Oh, the new season. Oh, surely, surely. I would like. I would like to think so. I know Ed is, but oh yeah, Big Ed will be there. Um, so (laughs) Agent Cooper, despite having been shot in the gut uh, in a pretty serious fashion, um, will not remain in bed. There is work to be done. No, he brushes it off. He walks off. (laughs) He does. He kind of rubs some dirt on it, and he's like, "I'm fine." That's the old, that's the American cure-all. Put some dirt on that. <laughs> uh, then we we find that uh, Shelley is in another hospital room um, watching a news report about the burning of uh, the, the Packard sawmill. Mm-hmm. And um, then we also begin a flashback with uh Renette P- Pulaski. Yeah. Who She's is coming still in to a coma. She is but kinda coming round. Yeah. Ed <laughs> Renette's in a coma too <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Maybe when you're in a coma you can telepathically connect with other people in a coma and as soon as she met Nadine that kind of forced her to wake up. Right. She... We're coma buddies Oh I gotta wake the fuck up. Twinsies <laughs> Coma twins Coma powers activated. <laughs> and, uh, so, <laughs> oh, David Lynch, you missed a trick there. Uh, <laughs> really, really, really did. Um, Duncan, I feel like it's time to check in with official crazy person Leland Palmer. Yeah, <laughs> sporting a new look. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, the, the put upon Mrs. Palmer and Maddie are hanging out in the morning, uh, just doing, you know, typical stuff. Although Maddie has, uh, talks about a dream she has where there's like a big stain on the carpet and stuff that kind of freaks her Mm -hmm. out. But before, uh, it can go much further than that, in comes Leland Palmer, who is singing like a lark. Yes. Uh, just full of life. Um, and uh, he's got pure white hair. Yeah. And he hasn't noticed yet either, which is amusing. And he's kind of just acting like he's turned a corner, bro. That grief thing that he was struggling with, that's, that's in the past now. It's a new day. Grab the bull by the horns. Sing a horribly kind of catchy weird song oh, sing it to your family and and yeah yeah and then and then scoot right out of the door which is kind of what it does yeah <laughs> with his new silvery white hair and uh he busts in on the brother's horn yes uh, still singing the same damn song yes oh we should also say just before he busts in um maddie who's sitting in the living room gets that freaky vision of of basically what she had in her dream. So she sees the stain on the carpet and it kind of freaks her out. And it, it's a bit weird. It's a very weird, kind of weird scene. Uh, speaking of weird. Yes. When Leland Palmer comes in and uh, is singing away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the brother's horn absolutely lose their shit. Yeah. <laughs> 
As One of them dances on the desk. <laughs> Benjamin dances on the desk, but Jerry does the worm, kind of. He does, he does, he does the worm. And... <laughs> It's like the worst worm ever as well. Right, but it's like... It flops. The, uh, what is it called? The Tarantella? The mm-hmm. the manic dance that, that happens when you are cursed? It's it's mm-hmm. that kind of thing. It is... All right, I don't Weird. Wanna... Yeah. <laughs> I'll say it this time. We'll, we'll alternate between the two of us, so we're, one person is not saying that a lot. So I will take the hit on this one. It's very weird, Bo. I, but again, this is one of those moments where, as David Lynch, as a director, I just wanted to be there to hear him give direction for that scene. <laughs> Dance bigger! <laughs> like, I'm I'm literally flailing about, get on the desk! All right. <laughs> All right, David. I'm on the desk and dancing. Is that what I want? Perfect! You know, I mean, it is... It, it's so wonderful. It, I mean, this whole episode... For for being you know an extended ninety minute episode, oh my god, is is it a bunch of fun? Um, yeah, it's packed, absolutely packed here. Yeah, this is this is how you kick off a new season. Um, right. Like this is how you do it. You just get people instantly engaged with it, and it kind of almost sets the tone for what's going to like really happen. Like season two, and we're not spoiling anything here. Season two is wildly strange. And hugely inconsistent, and and this episode like really kind of sets the tone for the whole thing. Uh, you you have Leland basically coming back and saying that, that he is now back. He's ready to get back involved. He's back on board, and while he's singing these weird kind of nineteen twenties ditty, they're busting it the weirdest sort of kind of nineteen late nineteen eighties hybrid hip hop voodoo dance cultish thing and it's it's all just like yeah we just accept it this is a weird little town this is what they do yeah and especially you know jerry and ben horn when faced with said diddy just Mm -hmm. they naturally lose their minds and break into dance which beforehand they're they had been only mildly tolerant of leland palmer at best and uh they seem to be happy to have him back um so then we uh, we stroll over to Leo Johnson's house where uh, Deputy Hawk. Cacao. Uh, <laughs> Sheriff Truman, your voice is so ragged out. It's great. I'm gonna. I, I gotta see if I can match that with the the tone on the this <laughs> Hawk screech. We'll see what we can do. Um. So that's more like. And and and. Uh, I'm a hawk. <laughs> I'm a hawk now, Ed. I'm a coma hawk. Coma, which is the name of my new electronic side project. <laughs> it's uh, gotta be. We cool. have an EP coming out next year. It's called Nadine's Wet Dream. Oh, you, you can't wait to hear it. I can't uh, wait. And to the hear first the song is called uh, our, our our very first song on Nadine's Wet Dream is Silent Drapes. I had to I had to mute myself because I was drinking water when you said that, and it <laughs> it hit me just right. I I think I may I may have hurt myself seriously. You got water on the lung, then. I'm going into a coma. 
Oh, wait, no, nope, yes, Nadine. Oh, shit. Okay, I'm good. Uh, yeah! ah! oh. That's the new season. Um. <laughs> so, I can't believe this total nonsense. It, oh, but it's wonderful nonsense. Uh, all right, so, shut up. Um, <laughs> we, we, got a, we got an episode to get through. Uh, and... Uh, so they're investigating um, Sheriff Truman, Agent Cooper's there, and they're they're piecing together the events of the Leo Johnson shooting. Mm-hmm. And Agent Cooper, of course, because he's a super sleuth, as, as we've established before, is immediately like, oh, he had an axe. He was about to kill. I, what, how do you put it? He, he was going to make kindling out of somebody with yep. this axe. But before he could do that, he shot through the window. Mm-hmm. And also the TV has been moved, and that clearly wasn't Shelley. So mm-hmm. somebody else was in that house, and they just don't know who it was. Uh, they do know that you know, you know he was uh, Leo w- was shot by someone other than the person that he seemed to be stalking. Mm-hmm. And they also find, or Deputy Hawk finds. <laughs> the uh, 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 copies of Flesh World, which, uh, yeah. as listeners may recall, is the magazine that had advertisements featuring Laura Palmer and Renette Pulaski. Mm-hmm. And um, then enters Albert Rosenfeld. About fucking time. Right. I mean, there's never enough Miguel Ferrer, R.I.P. <laughs> yeah. Uh I love it. He shows up and Andy gets into a bit of a panic. He's and, like running about the place going, don't panic! Don't panic! Agent Cooper! He does the old stepping on the board thing. Yep, the board. He steps on the the patio and the board of that, that kind of decking area swings up, hits him in the face, good old-fashioned slapstick comedy as only David Lynch can do um, in that you're not sure if you should laugh at it or be freaked out by it or where the tone now lies in this episode and of course at this point agent rosenthal points out the incompetence of the twin peaks sheriff's office but more fool him because that board was actually hiding a pair of boots lots and lots of cocaine what else do we call it skag yayo yayo <laughs> white pony Charlie, um, clean burning propane, <laughs> and it should be noted here mm-hmm. that Deputy Andy staggers around for about four and a half minutes. Yeah, he staggers around about the same time it took for the waiter to leave the room. Yeah, and he alternates between giggling, like he never totally falls down. It is, hmm, uh, you know, weird. Um, but <laughs> well, well, it's your turn to say that. So yeah, it, I mean, it's one of those things that when you watch it, you know that that is such a bizarre choice to keep cutting back to him doing this yeah. weird. Like he looks like a pterodactyl trying to stand on its feet. Yeah, it's very strange. Is that? Yeah. 
You know, I, I mean, no criticism here. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. But it's it, uh, one of those things that's like, oh, yeah, David Lynch directed this. And then the cut from that scene is a guy, uh, assumedly a, a trucker or something, or a lumberman, a woodsman of some sort in a flannel shirt going, hot damn, that pie is good. <laughs> and you're like, oh, yeah, right, David Lynch. Okay, gotcha. And uh, But we are at the Double R Diner mm-hmm. because Maddie and uh, Donna are having a little uh, secret meeting. Mm-hmm. And Maddie has apparently haunted sunglasses <laughs> because while she's wearing them, she's got kind of resting bitch face. Mm-hmm. And then she takes them off and it's like, these were Laura's. And then Donna puts them on and she's like, Hey, <laughs> I feel dangerous. Mm-hmm. And sunglasses will do that to you. Yeah. Well, it, it, so she immediately like starts smoking. Mm-hmm. It's it is such uh, again it's it's Laura's haunted sunglasses that bestow the wearer with the powers of of sluttiness, I suppose, and also the ability to read behind the the propaganda of things around you, like obey. This is your god. Right. It's basically, <laughs> like a, it's a precursor to to, to they live really. Yeah, Peaks. that's where it started. That's where the sunglasses were founded. Then were recreated and shipped off until Rowdy Roddy Piper found them and then took down the government. True story. Yeah, that is absolutely accurate. Um, I have come here to eat pie and kick ass and I'm all out of pie. Oh God! If Agent Cooper said that in any episode, yeah, I, I would have an instant orgasm. So. Yeah, I mean, not... Or several, maybe several, like five back-to-back. Yeah, I mean, you would just... It would <laughs> it would be like skeeting till the end of time. <laughs> Which is the second song of my EP, by the way. <laughs> I can't wait to hear this album. It's going to be amazing. Uh, but, all right, so they find out that Dr. Jacoby has been hospitalized uh for for being beaten and and uh had a heart attack and maddie's feeling bad about it but the newly laura possessed donna is like hey this ain't our fault baby (laughs) we're taking this all the way to the end we're riding these rails (laughs) all the way to the final stop and ultimately is just like look he's gonna be fine this isn't our fault what happened happened, and also James is in jail, um, yeah. <laughs> presumably for once more uh, posing nude as a statue in the park. <laughs> Just randomly shitting in a park. <laughs> the world is the toilet. Uh, <laughs> poor James. Um. So yeah, they you know, uh, Norma hands a, a note to Donna, um, and she reveals said note to Maddie, which the note just simply says, "Look into the Meals on Wheels," which is how Norma knew Laura Palmer because she did the the Meals on Wheels thing. Um, the entire conversation is observed. Uh, if not recorded by the log lady. Yep, that's what she does. And uh, who who 
aside from just being there listening, also spits out some gum and yeah. and doesn't do it very well. <laughs> but what are you going to do? Um, you know, just re- a, a nice reminder of like, hey, remember the log lady? Uh, yeah, she's she's, still she's back for season two. Right. Remember, she's got a log. <laughs> so. Uh, and anyway, so Albert, uh, back at the uh, Twin Peaks police station, Albert is uh, chiding Agent Cooper a bit for for being out of bed uh, yep. after being shot. And he says, look, I can take over this investigation. And Agent Cooper is like, bull to the shit you can. <laughs> because you're an asshole and everyone here is pretty nice and those you know that like oil and water agent rosenfeld you do not mix with this town no no and right then that's when andy comes in to say that he's discovered a bit of information about leo um he discovers that back and i think it was 88 uh he was in jail in montana um so technically technically he has an alibi for Teresa Banks' murder. Yes. The, so, yeah. So the, And the reason that's important, for those that can remember back to the first season, is that it was assumed, or presumed, um, that Teresa Banks' killer was linked to the same person that killed Laura and almost killed Renette Polanski. Exactly right. This, this serial killer. So... Um, if this is not correct, then it cannot be, you know, Leo could not have been the person working on this theory. Leo could not be the killer of Laura um, or the person that, that truly fucked up Renette. Right. It, it, do, Teresa. But couldn't they, Duncan? Couldn't they? Maybe, really? Paul. Maybe we'll get some information in this season. Oh, she had some more light on it. Uh, oh. Uh, oh. All right. So... <laughs> Uh, into the sheriff's department strolls uh, the one-armed man uh, named Mike. Yeah, it wasn't me. It was the one-armed man. <laughs> I, don't I don't care. I don't know. Um, and so he wants to talk to Sheriff Truman, and Lucy's like, uh, "Can I tell him why you're here?" And he's like, "I I'm here to sell him shoes." Mm-hmm. And and that's it. Shoes of truth. The shoes of truth. The <laughs> shoes of exposition. Um, Which but, is like the, the shittest thing to get in an RPG game. The shoes yeah. of exposition. <laughs> like, oh fuck. Where Not the, the shoes of exposition. You have to roll like a, a 17 in order to progress your story. Like right to the very end. You just miss the whole story. You go right to the final scene. Or the uh, as soon as you put them on. Um, you get one of those journal pop-ups like uh, <laughs> in in Skyrim, only you can't close it, and it's 4,000 yeah, pages just, long. It just keeps going. <laughs> can't flip right to the end. Um, Duncan, it's time we interrogate James. Yeah, it's about time, because James will make sense. At the very least, we got to squeeze what blood from this turnip we can. <laughs> And how does this go? Tell uh, us. I mean, about as well as you would think (laughs) where he, he basically offers a lot of information that everyone already knows. Yeah. Um, 
doesn't know how the the skag got in his motorcycle. You know what I mean, no. Duncan. Yayo. Yeah. Toot snoot. <laughs> yep. Nose candy. Booger yep. sugar. <laughs> Clean burning propane. And <laughs> like the first the first twenty five minutes of the interview with James is just basically tell James telling them that they are not Laura. Um, <laughs> right. You're not like, Laura. Uh, and then Agent Cooper comes in and he's like, you're not Laura either. <laughs> and uh, he does. It, the one thing that James does reveal in this kind of uh, is, again, something we all knew, which was, hey, Laura, when she's on this tape talking about the guy that can light her F.I.R.E., mm-hmm. um, it's probably Leo Johnson because she talks about his car. Yes. And. Immediately, Agent Cooper enters the room and is like, James, you ignorant slut. I need you to hand me the other half of that necklace. And James is like, huh? Yeah. How the, what the, who? And, and Agent Cooper is like, I know you got to give it to me. And uh, he turns over the half of the necklace. And Agent Cooper then describes how he knew that James would have it. And, uh, you know, by process of elimination, somebody had to have it and blah, blah, blah. I knew he had to have it, so I asked him for it, and then he handed it to me because James is stupid mm-hmm. and eager to please. So anytime uh, – and he was like, I didn't know for sure, but it made sense. So I asked him for it. He had it. And he goes, well, sometimes you just feel lucky. Or you just get lucky is, is how you he puts it. You just get lucky. Um, and in walks uh, Donna – yeah. As well, wearing the possessed sunglasses of sluttiness, also a good, <laughs> a good RPG game item. And she wants to go talk to uh, to James. And I like anyone who smokes in a police station. I am. Yeah, it's just it's basically giving two fingers to the law. It's a little punk rock, even though her sweater is definitely not punk rock in this scene. <laughs> There is something kind of kind of badass about you know walk strolling into a police station, smoking a cig, and just being like, "Hey, where's the guy that I fuck?" Um, yeah, it, it turns out James doesn't really James didn't really like this in Laura. It turns out he doesn't really like it in her either. I uh, all right, Donna does have one line in this scene that I think is just amazing. Oh, tell us where he says. Uh, you know, like how long have you been smoking? And she's she's like, well, I've been smoking as long as I've been stressed. And he says, well, how long have you been stressed? As long as I've been smoking. And I'm like, mm, all right, Donna, I'm kind of on board. Or it, tense is how she puts it. Anyway, yeah. Um, poor, poor James. You know, this this makes no sense to him at all. James's brain breaks at this point, like completely. It's like some weird causality loop where they can't find the start. It's just like, like Aura Borealis. It's just eating itself. Alora Borealis. Is that how you pronounce it? No, I'm just I'm doing wordplay. Oh, oh, I see what you did. Oh, you swine! <laughs> I see what you did there, you <laughs> cheeky son of a bitch. Yeah, <laughs> playing on those words, uh-huh. linking them back into Twin Peaks. I'm like uh, Will Smith. 
the New York Times crossword editor. Um, also someone I share a lot in common with in the sense that we both have names. Um, yeah, he also grew up in Bel Air with his uncle Phil. <laughs> he did. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> uh, oh, God. This, this whole episode is just completely unpublishable. Um, yeah. <laughs> See if anyone's actually managed to listen to this. I'm just going to assume that Bo accidentally hit publish, um, as opposed to not publish, which right. is what he should have hit. There, um, there are two buttons. Yeah, so that, my, one of my, one of my favourite things coming up here is like the most awkward conversation ever. So we have <clears throat> Lucy and Andy sitting in a room, and Cooper over the top of them, both handing them stacks of porn. Bo. You have a stack of porn, and you have a stack of porn. It's like that scene where, um, it's like that thing, that famous scene from Oprah Winfrey. It's like, you got a car, and you got a car, and cars for everyone, but except with porn magazines. It's like, you got, you got a porn magazine, you get one. And basically he's telling them to go through them and try and find the one where Laura was using to advertise her services. Yes. Um, <laughs> look under your seats, there's gonna be porn. <laughs> And, but you still have to pay the taxes on it, which is the real bitch of it all. Oh, um, so. no he's also, the, he wants them to try and find um, a photo of Teresa Banks because he's still convinced that they're all linked somehow. Yes. Um, and, uh, all right, no spoilers. All right, spoiler-free discussion of the show. Um, mm-hmm. So, they they go to visit Dr. Jacoby to ask him about the half a necklace that he had. And he tells the story of how he came in, into possession of it, which was, hey, he was following Laura. Laura disappeared with um, uh, Leo uh, at, at, a, at some point in the evening. Then he saw uh, James and Donna on a motorcycle. And so he followed them instead because, you know, any port in a storm when you're a stalker. So mm-hmm. he was like, well, I can't follow the, the, the one I really want to stalk. But yep. these people aren't paying attention. So he followed them and he says, look, they were I, I, I watched them talk. They were they were talking really intensely. I don't know what it was about, but I saw them bury something. And so I went to the spot and dug it up. And sure enough, there was uh, the necklace. But, you know, did I really do anything wrong? I just want to kind of as a memento of uh, of Laura. So we have answered the question posed in the very first episode of Twin Peaks, which mm-hmm. is who took the other half of Laura's necklace? It was in fact, of course, Dr. Jacoby. We did kind of know that already, but he's now admitted it to the cops, so the cops now know. Right. There was the an episode in the first season where uh, I believe it ended that way, right? With him kind of Yeah, that episode we actually saw him put inside the coconut in his weird creepy Hawaiian apartment. Yeah, and but he also suggests that perhaps she had she had reached some some point where she was kind of ready to die. Yeah, yeah. The, the basically this the the duality of the the life that she was living had kind of got too much for her. Yeah, and and that um, even though she was not expressly say suicidal. She, you know, certainly was not going out of her way to keep herself alive, clearly. Um, what with all the tying up in Skag. 
Um, you know, clean burning propane. Uh, <laughs> So, also in the hospital, there is a visitor in Shelly Johnson's room. And we begin our running gag of the tray of hospital food that is just different colors of gruel. Yeah, this looks horrible. Um, So, yeah, it it does look terrible. And uh, it's Bobby Briggs showing up to check on Shelly to bring her some magician flowers that he pulls from his coat mm-hmm. um i think that's what those are called the when yep. you just you know sproing flowers <laughs> <laughs> i love your send of for that i'm sorry cool. it was it was, it was either that or spadoinkle spadoinkle was also pretty amazing <laughs> so bobby's like look uh leo's not gonna hurt us anymore when you get out of here we're gonna be together and um, everything's going to be cool with us. But on his way out, he is spotted by Agent Cooper, uh, Sheriff Truman, and um, Agent Rosenfeld. And uh, Agent Rosenfeld, of, uh, of course, takes a moment to insult Sheriff Truman for observing that's Bobby Briggs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, somewhere in this episode, I can't remember which scene it is, but I think it might have been when Deputy Andy comes in with the uh, Teresa Banks information. And he's like, where do you keep his dish? Yeah. Uh, which <laughs> there are a handful of, of Albert lines that I, I wish I had the balls to say to other people. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> so now we, we have a moment because Big Ed is also in the hospital uh, tending to Nadine. Yes. With earplugs and, firmly in. Yes. Uh, Ed! I'M STILL IN A COMA! Uh, um. yeah, Norm, Norma's went in to visit Shelley. Um, and to say that she's feeling a bit um, dejected because of uh, Ed's stalwartness to his, um, his fallen lover Uh it would be an understatement. She's she's kind of cut up about this. Ed is now one hundred percent back behind his one-eyed woman, um, <laughs> and Norma kind of feels like she's missing that sort of attention that she got from the big guy. Yeah, and we we do get the the backstory on the whole relationship, yeah, between Ed and Nadine, which is effing crazy. Yeah, but why should you be surprised? Yeah, why why should we? Um but at all right, so basically what happened was Ed and Norma were dating all through high school. Um you know, Ed was certainly into it, uh mm-hmm. being with Norma. And then Norma meets Hank and sh- and and Hank is like, "You should go away with me." And Norma does. And so Ed is dejected. So he ends up uh, going out with Nadine and they just kind of run off together for a while and you know they're drinking uh, probably doing a little skag um, <laughs> I'm not going to do it this time uh, and they end up deciding that they're going to get married like you do when you're on a bender with somebody and reeling from the you know theoretical loss of uh, of your love and mm-hmm. Um, so they end up 
get married uh, in that scenario and while on the honeymoon, um, Ed shoots out her eye. Uh, yeah. Mistaking her for one presumes a screeching hawk. <laughs> and um yeah it's like the whole story and, and he's like you know i there were part of me doesn't want her to wake up but you know she was the person who, who was always standing by me she forgave me as soon as i shot her in the eye immediately she she forgave me she didn't hold it against me so we kind of understand now why Ed has maybe stayed as long as he has. Um, yeah. You know, good for him and all, but still, you know, at a certain, yeah. you got to cut he, he obviously, yeah, he's, he's obviously a good guy. Not good enough not to have an affair with someone else. So just, just saying that big Ed, shoot or, your wife in the eye and then have an affair. Bad man. Yeah. Bad man. Or shoot them directly in the face, apparently. <laughs> is also a thing that Ed is not above. Uh, um, yeah, so so while we're in the hospital, because everything's happening at the hospital now, everyone's at the hospital and everything's happening at the hospital, this is where Cooper pieces together the clues, the giant clues from earlier on. Yes. Um, uh, wait, before, right before we get to that, we, we got we to gotta pause because we do take a quick detour to the double R. Oh, where Bobby Briggs is... Oh, yeah, he's sitting with his dad. Yeah. And there's a scene where they, like, are trying to have a normal conversation. And, uh, you know, the the colonel offers him some pie and, and, you know, what you do in the double R, because the pie is delicious there, Duncan. Not sure if you're aware. But uh, we also uh, find out that... Bobby, uh, went, upon asking the colonel, like, hey, how was your day? And, you know, because they're trading pleasantries to try to try to establish some some basis upon which they can begin to uh, to communicate. Yeah. Trying to act like father and son. Yeah. And so uh, Bobby asked him, like, well, how was your day? And he's like, well, it was good. And uh, he says, what do you do? And he says, well, Bobby, I uh, I can't really talk about that. So, you know, foreshadowing. Um, Mm -hmm. And then he reveals a dream that reminded me quite a bit of the end of uh, Racing Arizona. Oh, yeah. Where High's like, you know, and then I dreamed far into the future, further than I'd ever dreamed before. Um, Except the colonel is dreaming of Bobby being in a nice house with a family and, and being around people he loved. And he also distinguishes the difference between a vision, uh, which is what he believes he had, and not a dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, it's it's a Bobby being happy and that they they embrace, and, and he's like, you know, I'm, I'm glad that w- we got to share this moment together. And yeah. it, it's kind of a nice moment between Bobby and his dad, uh, which we'll yes. actually see a fair amount of this season is... is the colonel for sure. And, and that relationship. But the important thing is that Bobby sees Hank, uh, at the double R. And yeah. Hank gives a salute to the, to the major as he leaves, uh, like kind of military salute. And when this happens, he gets a flashback to when Leo was shot and he recognizes who the killer was. It was none other than 
Hank. Yep. I shot Leo Johnson. <laughs> he says. Uh, and and he's like, yeah, I saw that. Have you tried clean burning propane? Uh, I swear, I swear, I'm gonna stop that by the next episode. <laughs> I don't know if you're gonna do it. I. It's so good. It's so much fun to do. Um. At any rate, all right. So then we have our uh, our, our big reveals of like, okay, let, let's do the the timeline of the Laura Palmer murder only with donuts. Yeah, which is the best way to do it. I actually feel like we should be having donuts right now if we're going to be doing this show. From now on, donuts. All right. Uh, remember, listeners, when you are listening to this show, you should be within arm's reach of a donut. Always. And a, a, a damn fine cup of coffee. Oh, boy, that does sound really good. Mm. Uh, so, you know, they, they go through all the stuff we know. Like, you know, uh, all, all the stuff about going to the cabin and then... Um, then they say, like, we believe that Leo left because there was a third man. That yeah, there was someone else there who was um, who was witness to the event. So we we know that Jacques said that he passed out at some point, um, and when he came to, everyone was gone. So Leo must have left at some point, and then this third person. Um, was the one that had taken them away to the train car. Right. And it turns out that um, one Deputy Hawk was the the one who discovered... Sorry. No, no, no. Can't Perfect. That there was a... Uh, a the third man was uh, discovered, or his presence is discovered by Deputy Hawk. And again, we're just kind of rolling through... All the, like, here's where the investigation is. We we believe Leo Johnson was not, in fact, the killer, but this third person was. That he was the one who took Renette and Laura to the train yard where uh, Laura was killed. And then Renette was let go. Uh, or just, yeah. uh, the killer did not pay enough attention to Renette. She was not the intended victim. And, and even more confusingly, Bo, the bit of paper, remember the bit of paper with the words fire walk with me on it? I do indeed. Well, that 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 was written in blood, and the blood is not Laura's, it's not Leo's, it's not Jack's, and it's not Renette's. No, it is, in theory, the uh, blood of the killer, who has a very unusual, uh, unusual, I like that, abominable... <laughs> Abdominal, abominable, abominable. A bomb? Who's got a bomb? He's got a bomb, Duncan. Everyone, get out! No, he he has an unusual blood type, which is AB. Yes. Not AB, but AB, like smushed together, like a part of ABBA. Yes, and of course, um. No, don't do it. Um, don't do it. Uh, yeah, and of course, uh, while they're going through all this the, the, this detail, Albert again is just being a dick, a prize dick, and Andy has had enough. He's had enough. He stands up. He makes a bit of a hullabaloo about the way they're speaking, very nonchalant about uh, Laura, um, and he storms right out of the fucking room, slams the door behind him. 
Learn the principles. Yeah, Deputy Andy is unlike James, dim but good-hearted. Um, James, I, you could argue is good-hearted, but eh, it's just that kind of stupid. It's just hard <laughs> to climb that wall. Um, <laughs> he's simple. Um, he's very simple. So back at the uh, the the sawmill, the lodge, um, we've got. Uh, Pete Martell, who is mourning the loss, the theoretical loss of, of see you next Tuesday, Catherine Martell. Mm-hmm. And um, Sheriff Truman is, is saying, you know, like, look, Pete, she was, she was feisty. No, no doubt about that. But, you know, l- let us know if you need something. And he also reveals that uh, Josie Packard um is not necessarily a stranger to taking off suddenly. Yeah. And admits that uh or or in, informs the sheriff that she usually goes off to indulge in what he thinks is her uh is her her secret joy and the sheriff mm-hmm. is like is she fucking somebody? And <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then you mean, you mean I am not the secret joy, right? I mean, I uh, there's already a secret going on, um, and it's me, right? I mean, not me, but uh, let's say it was me. And <laughs> and Pete's like shopping, you know, ladies be shopping. Yep, and <laughs> you can't stop a lady from shopping. If it comes Eddie Murphy from the nineteen eighties, that was actually uh, Dave Chappelle in is the Nutty Dave Professor. Chappelle? Yeah, he is the the comedian. That's right. Uh-huh. That's right. Women be shopping. They be shopping. Um, Woo! They be shopping. <laughs> so uh, you know, it's still a little suspicious. Just a, I, I can hope that that gets cleared up. I'm sure it will. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? Um, <laughs> and then we have a mysterious Asian man showing up to uh, to ask after uh, Josie Packard. Yes. And Just, uh, by way of telephone. Yes. And it's Harry Truman that answers the phone, and uh, yeah, just not not very happy about this. He starts asking why he's asking, and Asian man puts down the phone. Yep, and in uh, in the background are uh, we find Benjamin and Jerry Horn uh, discussing um, another piece of food because that's kind of what they do. Mm, food, and uh, they open their study, which is dark as hell in this scene, lit only by fire. Fire, walk with me. Um, and there is Hank. And they're like, hey, so did you shoot Leo? And he's like, oh, I shot him good. And, <laughs> and he's like, well, what, what, about, uh, what about the fire and everything? And he's like, it's all taken care of, gentlemen. I'm a cold-blooded killer. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, you are. But look, just don't try to get feisty with the thinking because, you know, we're the ones, we're the brains of this outfit and you're the guy that goes off and and does our bidding, and uh, and and does the kind of dirty shit that we need you to do. 
Um, so once again, reinforcing, yes, we have uh, the horns in charge. Hank is the um, the muscle. And yeah, am I leaving anything out? I feel like no, that's, that, that's where we are. And then uh, we have a scene back at the uh, One-Eyed Jacks where Blackie and Audrey are having a conversation. Because Blackie is like, hey, uh, you were supposed to screw the owner of this place, so, you know, WTF? And Audrey's like, he wasn't my type being my dad and all. Oops. (laughs) And Blackie's like, what was the last part? And she's like, nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Just wasn't my type. Let's leave it there. And Blackie's like, well... Uh, when you work for me, everybody's your type sister. Mm. Yeah. Uh, which is honestly the only way I'm ever going to get a little Audrey Horn time. Um, so, sorry. Some some of these admissions are painful. Um, they are. They are. But get them out. Yeah. It's, it's best. Thank you all for being, you know, part of my therapy. And uh, so d- back at the... Uh, uh, the Donna household. She has the glasses off, so she's not quite as slutty. Mm-hmm. But she's she's scheming. She's uh, she wants to join the Meals uh, on Wheels thing for the Double R, and so has that scheduled up. So she is now going to take over kind of the the route Laura did, uh, reinforcing her Laura Palmer ishness. And then we have a dinner scene with the Palmers being hosted by uh, Donna's family. And Mm -hmm. Donna's youngest sister, or no, the middle sister, recites a poem that's not very good in honor of Laura. And honestly, why would you ever? Uh, Like, if if parents of a murdered daughter were over for dinner, why would you read a poem to remind them of that? almost as bad as or inappropriate as getting someone to play the piano and start doing your weird dancing with your strange hair yeah so kind of leland has this great ability of just really making everyone feel awkward as fuck yeah i mean leland is is not what you would call stable uh at any (laughs) point in i mean let's face it the series Mm-hmm. But they're so they're having dinner and and they're talking about how he's feeling better, and he says, "In fact, I feel like singing." And so he starts singing his uh, his crazy song, and oh, no, it's uh, God, what is he singing? Um, God, it's not amazing grace it's uh oh come on get happy is what he's singing yes it took me a second to get there because i kept thinking it was a religious song and then i realized oh come on get happy is actually a religious song Mm -hmm. uh i i totally forgotten that because i'm a heathen heathen and then he gets caught in a westworld loop yeah it, it gets yeah it gets (laughs) <laughs> good i like that um and, and then he actually crashes out completely yeah um, and they, they bring him back and he says that he's just he's just really happy boy he's just really really happy now he, and of course once again his poor poor wife is fucking distraught does she not get to grieve Bo? um you know i think their relationship is all about leland you know, yes. um, he is the 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 emotional 
center of that relationship and and it's really all about his emotional needs um we could get deeper into this duncan and i've armchair psychology that relationship to no end and i i do feel bad for poor mrs palmer Mm -hmm. um but we're gonna leave leland palmer on the floor uh being happy as all get out duncan um and we have agent cooper uh back at the great northern uh finally uh getting some rest because he was saying like hey i you know i i i haven't slept and that's a a good way to have a psychotic episode so uh Asa, and the way he describes it is i was so goofy last night after being shot that i saw a giant in my room um but it is no uh no dream duncan Mm-hmm. because seemingly in reply to uh, Audrey, who we were kind of cutting back and forth between Agent Cooper and Audrey, both of them in bed, Agent Cooper at the Great Northern, Audrey at One-Eyed Jacks, where she is essentially now a, a sexual prisoner. Yeah. And, oh, God, it seems sexy just to say that. <laughs> Audrey Horn, sexual prisoner. Mm. I think I got a book I want to write. Um, <laughs> I see these books. Oh God, Audrey Horn, Sexual Prisoner Part Two, Electric Cavity Investigation. <laughs> oh, Audrey Audrey Horn, Dental Assistant, <laughs> filling the cavity. Oh yeah. Um, get to the root of the issue. But mm-hmm. instead of praying to the Good Lord. She is praying to Agent Cooper. Yeah, she's trying to... She she knows that Coop is a bit of a spiritual person, and she thinks that maybe there's a chance that somehow they could be potentially telepathically linked. If she puts enough effort into trying to put the, her thoughts, her will, and her message out there, that maybe Agent Cooper will pick it up. And it really is kind of a, a sweet scene. Like, all credit to um, Sherilyn Finn. Mm-hmm. Um, who is, a, I think, a, a really wonderful actress in this series and, and at times being very, you know, seductive and, and the one in charge. But in this scene, she's very much a vulnerable girl. And her saying things like, you know, I know I'm going to end up in situations a lot more dangerous than this if I'm going to help you in your investigations, but I could really just use some help right now. And it's kind of sweet. Um and uh, then back at the Great Northern, the the giant shows up. Yeah, he's back to say, I told you so. Right. Like, and we kind of skipped over all this stuff, but throughout the episode, all the things that the giant said you're going to see have come true. Yeah. And uh, he, he tells Agent Cooper, like, basically telling the audience, hey, 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 you think you're close to the answer here, but uh-huh, not so fast. And, you you know, the journey of a thousand miles and all that stuff. Uh, but in addition to telling you to just, how about you hold your horses a little bit on this investigation and allow it to unfold as uh, the, the universe deems fit, um, you have forgotten something. Yes. And it tells him that, that there, uh, a person that is known to him saw the third man. Yes. But not his body, which is a weird thing to say. But so, well, even weirder, uh, the giant 
um, ejaculates from his chest a glowing orb. Yep. Which then uh, settles into Agent Cooper. Mm-hmm. And now we get to the scariest shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this was the scene I was talking about earlier on. This this episode finishes with, like, a shot of pure horror. Because um, Renette is coming out of her coma, um, and she's having a dream. And in the dream, she's basically seeing Laura screaming, like, manically, very feral, like a fucking wild animal screaming. And she sees Bob killing Laura and Bob is like maniacally screaming up in the air as well and slamming his hands down you can only imagine into her chest um, while kind of weirdly laughing at the same time roaring um, and then yeah we, we, we keep jumping between Laura's agonised kind of feral scream and, and, and Bob's and as as because it's all shot with strobe lights as well, and it's very very jarring. It's very very unsettling, and that's that's where the episode finishes. Yeah, I mean it's it's Bob squatting over Laura's body, screaming into the darkness, mm-hmm. and oh my god, it is it is terrifying. Like that whole scene, the look on Laura Palmer's face, like there's blood on her teeth. She looks. I mean, it's almost the the Wicked Witch of the West kind of expression, yeah. like that mouth open scream. Yeah, it's it's like that. Um, it's kind of like she's seen something that has like ultimately broke her brain. This is like the you know this is like the way we know Laura as a character, the way everyone speaks about her, even that kind of wild side. This is the personification of that wild side, and it's terrifying. Yeah, it, it truly is one of the scariest things, I think, that this episode, or not this episode, but this whole series uh, produces. Um, yeah. It, yeah and once again, we get to see, like like I say, we get to see Bob, and Bob is, Bob is just weirdly unsettling. Yeah, he looks like a guy that, like, if you saw him at a truck stop at 2 a.m., you would think, I'm probably going to be murdered. Yeah. But the thing is, it's all about context as well. See if he was driving like a Harley and like a 1970s buddy movie or something, you like Convoy, he'd be fine. He'd be like, he's a nice guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's just very strange in this, that like, and in the context of this show, he's not your stereotypical like villain, so to speak, the way he looks and stuff like that. He just looks like a dirty hippie. Um but all credit to the obviously the eye of David Lynch in terms of casting him. But th- this guy himself really is horrific in this this ending. And um yeah, kind of in classic in classic fashion for Twin Peaks, we we have kicked off this uber long first episode of a new season with a shitload of questions like so many more questions some have been answered we've recapped some stuff and i've got tons more questions than we had before and we're left with a scene of absolute horror yeah it, it's a wonderful episode in my estimation mm-hmm. um actually i think it can only get better from here there is no way that 
Twin Peaks will drop in quality whatsoever. <laughs> there, especially, especially after say episode eighteen or nineteen of season. Yeah, there's 18. there's no way that there's no way that David Lynch will will just take his eye off the ball during this second season. Nope, not not and a just chance. assume that this show is going to be on air forever. Um. Before we close out, Duncan, I do want to point out the dedication on this episode. Oh, point it out then. Uh, it is, it, like, as the credits roll, uh, you see a dedication to Kevin Young Jr. And Kevin Young Jr. was the nine-month-old son of an actor uh, named Kevin Young, strangely enough, mm-hmm. um, who had been, who had died after injuries at at the babysitter's house. And I I honestly I don't know if there was anything fishy about that if it was an accident or if the babysitter ultimately was um irresponsible was negligent and and harmed the child. So uh but it, it, I thought it was nice that in fact um you know it, the the whole thing kind of ends with uh a, a tip of the hat to a bit actor that it, you know it was on like three or four episodes in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, kind of nice at any rate, Duncan, uh, that is the finale of season one, the premiere, or as the French say, premiere episode <laughs> of season two of Twin Peaks. We are now rushing headlong through season two, as you said, uh, a totally satisfying, um, there will be no disappointments, just lots and lots <laughs> of owls. Um, <laughs> they also are not what they seem, but oh, they are um, not, and not to be trusted either. Uh, Duncan, how about you? Yes. You uh, you tell people where else they can find you before we end the, this episode. That is going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of four and a half hours long. Yeah, this is the longest episode of Duncan and Bo ever. Yeah, like really is. And if you've survived all the way through this, I can't thank you enough. I don't think me and Bo realised it was going to be as long as this, but unfortunately, we really are in a position now that we want to try and get caught up as much as possible because we don't want to be lagging when the new season drops. And there will be some sort of lag in there because we're just too close to the new season coming. So um, you will need to bear with us, but we will do our best, endeavour to do our best to to catch up where possible and make sure that everything. Is as seamless as we can make it. But yeah, you can check out my musings and ramblings um, over on the podcast under the stairs. It's my main show. Um, the episode that's out currently, um, as of the, the release of this, is um, our Baz V Horror episode 31, Baz V Jallo, where it looks at Sergio Martino's Torso, Dario Argento's Tenebrae, and Mario Bava's Blood and Black Lace. And I'll tell you right now, it's a very funny episode, but if you like Jallo, just be prepared. Um, to have your feelings hurt. That's all I'm going to say. It's I too Italian, big man. It, I, I love Jallo, and, and Baz, Baz was not kind. Um, so yeah, you can check it out there, teapotscast.com, um, and, and iTunes, and we're, we're on Legion, and yeah, all those good places. But genuinely, thank you very much for, for sticking with us in this uber-long episode. Yep. Uh, I echo everything Duncan said, including uh, about where you can find me, all the places he said. Um, I, as someone once uh, referred to you as uh, Scottish Bo, um, and I, I get all the time, even uh, by people that don't know who you are. Right, it happens. <laughs> Thank you, Richard Schmidt, for that. Um, 
adding that to my lexicon. But no, you can uh, find us over at legionpodcasts.com. Uh, there you can find not only this show, but uh, you know, podcasts under the stairs. Uh, Hail Mean Power Hour. That's a juggernaut, Duncan. It is a juggernaut. I, you know what I was really excited about was the return of the podcast on Haunted Hill. Absolutely. Uh, Dan and the gang are back uh, for... A special what? announcement as well this week as well. A, a new podcast, Bo? A new podcast? A new podcast? Um, yeah. Yes. Yes, this one's not American or British either, which is... I don't know how I react to that. Um, yeah, we... we uh, the sun never sets, Duncan, on the <laughs> Legion Empire. And we have added recently uh, Witch versus the Doom Day... Uh, Doom Day? Adomable, uh, which versus the... <laughs> stop it. I'm trying to get through this. Uh, and I'm in a coma. Who can't name the podcast? It's which versus the doomsday clock. Bo's an idiot. Um, <laughs> yes, Nadine is right. Um, it is which versus the doomsday clock, uh, which is our newest edition, and it is a yeah, kind of a different flavor, but I, I, boy, I think it's wonderful. I love uh, it. I absolutely love it. I, I kind of championed this show to get, to get on Legion because there isn't anything. I'm not aware. I've never heard any podcast that kind of does it the way the witch does it. Um, and he's a great guy, really, really great. If you have not experienced his work yet, trust me, you're going to enjoy this one. This yeah. one is wholly different, and I think a fantastic acquisition to to the Legion brand. Yeah, we were, you know, certainly uh, lucky uh, that uh, he was in the market for a home, and and um, as I uh, as I told him and others, uh, you hang around with this group long enough, you are eventually assimilated, uh, oh, yeah. like the Blob, yes. um, or the Borg, or the Borg. I, I man, I almost said resistance is futile, and then I was like, I, that's so obvious, and then I did it anyway, into telling you that. Yeah, um, she did. You I did. Oh, I feel so cheap. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so you can find that. Uh, also, uh, Short Buzz Cinema, which is the uh, new program uh, from mm-hmm. one. Um, God, I'm Ricky Morgan. I almost said Ricky Martin again. God, yeah, I know you did. I had to stop. Love to shake your bum bum. Um, and he's joined by, I would say, probably one of my favorite podcasters of all time. Uh, the incomparable Johnny Krug, yeah, the Kruger Nation. It it so. it's a wonderful combination, and yeah. So I, I'm I mean we've got like 500 shows on the network now. There's gonna be if you like <laughs> if you like horror movies or just movies in general or just listening to people talk, we fall into all those categories. So uh, get thyself to legionpodcasts.com as Legion yeah. Podcast with an S dot com. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and all those shows that we've added, when you add up their show lengths together, still not as long as this episode. So, no, but in fairness, the the uh, Baz uh, versus Giallo is only about four and a half minutes shorter than this episode. Yeah, but that's because the Baz is on it, and the Baz drinks and then rambles. Yeah, and in this case, both of us are drinking and rambling. That's so. pretty much what happened. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, Big thanks to you, Duncan, for for staying up late, not just one night, but two nights to get uh, all this done. And, uh, and of course, to our listeners who um, I would assume uh, have, uh, you know, happy birthday. You've probably turned a year older listening to this. 
Happy New Year. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to 2018. It's going to be better. Uh, thank you very so much. How about that season three, Twin Peaks? Weird, wasn't it? Yeah, that that was a great season. And oh, can you believe what happened on Game of Thrones? Um, <laughs> we'll get there. So uh, thank you to everyone. Uh, all that is left is for us to say good night. Good night. <laughs> oh, that is too perfect. I know a ditty, naughty as a fruitcake, goofy as a goon, and silly as a loon. Some call it pretty, others call it crazy, but they all sing this tune. Kiddly divey, kiddly divey, too.